Hi there, I'm Chris Gray, and this ad is brought to you by The Great Cast, a podcast centred around sport performance and health within Scotland, hosted by yours truly, Chris Gray. Come join me and a plethora of guests ranging from coaches, lifters, athletes, and even your average gym PT as we dive into their stories to see what drives them to do what they do. Sound interesting? Jump on that. The Great Cast, that's the G-R-A-Y-T cast. Available wherever you listen to podcasts. From the After 12 Podcast Network. Well, for me, it all began back, like you said, when I was 11. I was like, wow, Mm. this is what I want to do. This is it. And then it went on from there. A few weeks later was the Olympic trials. Um, So obviously things had been going really well. Um, I came second in my second round, um, but about 30 metres before the line, I just felt my hamstring twinge. And it was sore enough to think, right, I've... I've myself. Yeah, I've, I've done a, a few fibres here. And I'm looking and I'm thinking, I'm just a normal guy from, you know, a council housing estate. It's the first British athlete in uh, 15 years that I'd beaten one for no British wow. sprinter that had ever beaten them. And uh, I beat him by a hundredth of a second. I would say if you've got that dream, don't let anybody, no matter who they are, tell you that you can't achieve it. Mm. Every job or, you know, to be the best sports person or anything that, that, that there is or that dream that you want to do, someone in the world has to do it. If you think you can do it, go for it. So Ian Mackey, one of Scotland's most successful athletic stars and a personal idol of mine, he started athletics at the age of 11 under the watchful eye of his coach, John MacDonald. He competed in his first Commonwealth Games in 1994 whilst competing in the same year at the World Junior Championships as a British junior. He was a full-time athlete by 1996 with his first Olympic Games in Atlanta in the USA, specialising in the 100 metres. He went on to compete in two Olympic Games and two World Championships before ending his career retiring at the Scottish Chet Senior Championships in Scotstoun in 2005 at the age of 30. He is now one of us. He's a married man, a father and works as a corrosion engineer in the oil industry. So Ian, welcome. Thanks for coming on. Hello. Good afternoon. So, just why I've obviously done that brief introduction, obviously to yourself. Um, but going back all the way back, obviously we've had a wee chat before starting this uh, starting this podcast. But so our listeners get like a full understanding of you, like from your perspective, what who are you, and what is what is it, what does it mean to be an athlete, and what did you do? Yeah. Um, well, for me, it all began back, like you said, when I was eleven. Um, I was a quite a shy child if you can say, um, I had my core group of friends and mm-hmm. that didn't really kind of go out with that. Um, parties as a child and things like that, I was like, nah, nah, I'm not wanting to go to parties and things. Too many people, <laughs> too much going on. I'll just do my own thing. Um, but I always had this knack for being able to run quick. Um, even from the earliest days, um, the first house that I lived in was in Resyth. Um, and I remember there was trees in the, the square, as we used to call it, out the front of the house, a grassy area. And we used to have races in between those. Now, I was 
probably about four year old, but beating kids that were seven, eight, nine year olds between the trees. Wow. Maybe about 50 meters. So when you go back that far, you kind of think, oh, well, there was obviously a little. There was something there. There was something there. there. Yeah. 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 And obviously, you have races at school, you do your sports day and, and things like that. And you always have races in the playground. It's a, oh, it's, it's a great thing to do. And that's just standard for school, for school playground. Ah, exactly. It's, it's like the big challenge, isn't oh, it? Who's, who's the fastest sprinter? So, um, unbeknown to me, when we were having these races in the playground, um, my teacher, Mrs. Isaac, at the time, had obviously been looking out the window and had waited for her opportunity, not to mention it to me. Um, but mentioned it to my mum and dad at a parents' evening and said, do you know that Ian seems to be like a really fast runner and he's always racing in the playground. There's always races going on and Ian's always involved. Um, has he mentioned anything about it? And they were like, no. And she said, do you think he would go down to the local athletics club, which is down at Petrivi? And um, mum and dad were saying, look, you know what he's like? He's really, really quiet. Doesn't doesn't like the big crowds. Doesn't like where there's a lot of people. And um, they said, look, we'll ask him. And she said, I think you should, because he seems to be running really quick. He's beating all the older kids. So my mum and dad mentioned it to me um, after that parents evening. Mm. And straight away, I was like, oh, a running club. I didn't know about this. Um, and I was like, yeah, I'll give it a try. Um, so I managed to coax a couple of friends to come with me. So I just didn't really feel oh. <laughs> out of it. You know, I wasn't brave enough to go on my own. So yeah, a couple yeah. of friends came with some, me. Some moral support. That's it, exactly. Yeah, some backup. And um, I had seen the track before, um, but never been on it. So I turned up and it was a, a guy um, called George Kirk that mm-hmm. was the main coach for the, the kids at that time for sprinting. So, um, you know, a group of boys, maybe about, I don't know, 10, 11 boys in the group and um he said yeah absolutely come and join in and i remember the very first run um was a 200 and i just had on my trainers and all the kids had on their spikes and i'm thinking wow you know this is quite serious these these kids have all got on their special shoes (laughs) uh, i was like i'm gonna get absolutely roasted here and um there was one particular boy that was the fastest in the group, Robert Nesbitt, um, who I seen actually, I, I caught up with uh, just, I think it was last year. I bumped into him in a park and he said, remember me? And I'm looking, I'm thinking, no, I don't. But it, it turned out it was Robert Nesbitt. And anyway, were, he was I, fir- did, I didn't see you after the start line, so yeah, I can't remember your face. <laughs> but yeah. The one yeah. with the dust on his nose. <laughs> well, that, right, exactly, yeah. Um, but yeah, he was uh, the fastest boy in the group anyway. And all the kids were saying, you know, Robert's really fast. He's he's the, the quick one in the group. So I was like, all right. So the coach set us off. The next thing I know, I'm crossing the line way out in front. Mm. And uh, Must have felt good. It did. It felt amazing. Just the buzz of actually being on a track, being in a lane, running around the bend and running up the home straight. Mm. You know, I'll never forget the feeling. I'll never forget the night. It was a sunny night. Um, it was. Are you warm. sure you were in Scotland? Yeah, well, exactly. I know. <laughs> did you did you almost go into that as a sort of like, oh, this isn't that hard? Like, <laughs> yeah, in a, in a way, yeah. Do you I mean, it's picked was... up this guy Robert. He's he's so quick, but like you've just sort of like wiped the floor away him, and you're now like, oh, yeah. <laughs> what was, was all that about? It was kind of like that, not being smart or anything about yeah, it. Yeah, that's yeah. what's kind of. I was like, what was the big fuss there? That was quite easy, and I'm wearing my. The, the in trainer at the time, which was the Adidas kick, which are probably the equivalent of, of, of the weight of a brick. In, probably in come back in any fashion now. Like, mm. Aye, well, they'd be maybe part of the classic <laughs> range. I don't know. I didn't ever look at that. But um, yeah, I just loved the buzz of running up the home straight. 
and you know you get this sound of the wind rushing past your your ears which is a <coughs> it's an amazing sound and I thought oh, I really enjoyed that and one of the coaches other coaches that was there said um are you a member of the club and I was like no and he said well we'll get you a member of the club we'll get you a vest We'll get you running in the Scottish Young Athletes So you uh, obviously got final. quite excited and went, right, we need to get this boy like straight in then. Yeah, well, mm. maybe someone down there did like notice and think, oh, he's just run quicker, yeah. way quicker than the, the fastest boy in the club. So I think it was two weeks later, I was at Crown Point in Glasgow mm-hmm. running in the, the Relay um, in the Young Athletes final. And that was my first competition and that was me, I was hooked. That was that was me. I was on, that was me on my journey to... Um, you know, becoming an athlete, making new friends, you know, traveling the world, you know, it just all carried on from there. So that was my, you know, that was my introduction to athletics. It's quite interesting. You say you started off in 200 meters because, um, so when, when did you, when did you first get with, with John then? Was John the coach that, that spoke to you or was he after that? Yeah, no, John, um, was there at the time. Um, but like I say, all the kids of that age uh, went to George Kirk. Mm-hmm. Um, he had all the younger athletes. Um, and I eventually moved over to uh, John McDonald at the age of 13. Now, for his group, that was young. Mm-hmm. All the other yeah. guys that were in the group were maybe 15, 16 onwards. But because I was running so quick, I can't remember the full details, but I think the conversation was had you know, how can we take this kid a little bit further on because yeah. he's outrunning everything that we're doing at the moment. He's kind he of ahead to, of his time a wee bit there. Yeah, so he needs to kind of go to a coach like John that was had more um, older kids and was specialising in, in sprinting. Yeah. Um, and that's that's when I made the move. But the, the, the two years up until that was great because I'd done a bit of javelin, a bit of triple jump, Tried a bit a bit of long everything. jump. And I used to love going to the, the Young Athletes League um, back in the time it was called the Fourth Valley League and you got oh, yeah. your trip on a Thursday night after school to Grangemouth or that which for me was an adventure as well as going to compete so far afield having yeah. to drive through skim flats well, that's to be it, fair exactly, I've yeah. been in Grangemouth and it is a wee bit of an adventure oh. I don't know if it's a fun <laughs> adventure but it's, <laughs> it's, it's an experience <laughs> I, yeah it's got a different a few different areas there but, um, <laughs> different vibe always ran well there um, got really great childhood memories of being at that track Um and that was all, you know, it was all really good fun. But then when I moved on to John, um, I would still do those, you know, a bit of javelin for the club, a bit of long yeah. jump intermittently. But it became a bit more serious you know, focus on more, the sprinting. Yeah, more focusing on the sprinting from then on. Uh, so what, what I was saying earlier, when I was surprised you said that your first one was a 200 because I can remember John telling me a story, um, obviously, because obviously just so people know I, I i'm I, I was trained by john as well um or coached by john, john sorry and he was he always told the story he was like um ken i, I was i always struggled to get in to run more than 100 meters and it took like a competition to like he was forced into doing it to run a 200 <laughs> and he and, and he, it was only that after then after that fact he was he said it lasted a while though you he couldn't get you to do anything longer than about like 120 meters in training yeah that's right um it's not that I was lazy. I think kind of back then, you know, you're 13, you're going through that that stage of, you know, you, you kind of know everything yourself. You're a little big man, if you can call it that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, although I was never cheeky or anything like that, you kind of at that age sometimes know what's best. And I thought, I don't need to do this and I don't need to do that. And mm. But always had a huge amount of respect for John. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, called him Mr. McDonald right up until the age of 21. Um 
when one day he says to me, I think it's John. You know, you can call me John now. <laughs> was, that, was that a conversation out at the pub or something? Like, you're like, you need to stop calling me Mr. McDonald. <laughs> um, I it was it was just that so much respect I had for him. But yeah, in the early days, it was just like you know I don't want to train too hard mm. here. Um, which I suppose is not a bad thing as well. No, you know, no, definitely at, at a young age. Yeah. So where did like that respect sort of come from? Like stem from? Like was it just like because he had he trained older kids, or was it like? Was there something else like about like his pedigree as a coach or was it just like him just sort of like as a person? I think um, it was just John as a person. Um, you know yourself. Um, John was an absolutely amazing man. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, coaching was something that he loved doing as well as he's fishing. Oh, yeah. He was a, an absolute uh, phenomenal fisherman oh, as well. Still um, going to the World Championships yeah. in his 80s. Uh, Unbelievable. Yeah, he's just an incredible man. And I think even from a young age, he, as a vibe, you just picked that up from him. Mm. Um, so there was always that instant respect there. But on top of that, his daughter was Lindsay McDonald, yeah. um, Olympic bronze medalist from 1980. 16 um, years old she was when she got that medal. Yeah, that that's right. Yeah, 16 Crazy. years old. Moscow Olympics, yeah. Um, running in the 4x4. Four four. So again, probably a lot stemmed from that for the respect that you have mm. um, for him. Um, and also all the guys that he coached were incredibly good athletes yeah very um, very high caliber yeah really good so you know straight away that um it's a serious thing this guy's a good coach definitely yeah. even at the age of 13 you understand that i think i think the big thing for me was when when i approached john to join the group um when i like because two of my training partners then left to join john um to, to have the conversation with him it was like he, he wanted to know that you were serious and yeah. that you were into it mm-hmm. so it took about two months or so for me to like have conversations on back and forth what was my aims and all this stuff and like yeah. when I joined the group it was like I, I I was ready to like be committed to that sort of training regime because sure. you know yourself like once you obviously started running further 120 meters it's a tough sort of regime yeah but my, my training schedule was obviously slightly different because John always changed it so what was your like training week what what did it sort of like consist of and was it really tough to begin with when you started to take it a little bit more serious in the more distances or was it still quite like maybe like three days a week and a little bit less intense. How did it work? Yeah, and initially, um, you know, when I, at the, like I say, at the age of thirteen, when I first started off, I would just be there twice a week, Tuesday, Thursday. Um, that's all I was there for. Um, and then, basically, there was the turning point when I was fifteen. Um, my dad took me to the Great Britain versus USA USSR match at the time. Shows how long ago USSR. Wow. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That, that was must have been amazing, like the hype at that. Oh yeah, it was absolutely incredible. Yeah. It was actually that was sponsored by uh, McVitie's at the time, um, <laughs> so they had a Grand Prix series, um, and this was one of the big internationals. It was at Merrill Bank, and I'd never been to anything like that. Um, so my dad got tickets and took me over. I sat in the stadium, obviously really wanting to see the hundred meters, and Linford Christie was running, um, and I watched that hundred meters, and I was like wow that's absolutely amazing this is like all these people the the tv cameras all the the way the stadium was done up the the, the light and i'd never seen Merrill bank like this even though i'd competed there so many times as a mm. child i was like wow look at the this is incredible and the people shouting and clapping and you know the, the place it was always a sellout um absolutely amazing and i said to my dad i'm gonna go down to the warm-up area and see who i can see and as i went down the stairs and i came through the door there was Linford Christie standing right in front of right in front of me, Big just man. about to go into the into the warm up area, and I said, "Excuse me, Linford, can can I get your autograph?" And he went, "Yeah, sure." And he handed me this signed 
uh, Puma card with his autograph on it. I said, well done, well done in your race, you know, good luck in, in, in the relay. And I was actually shaking that Linford Christie was standing right in front of and me. And he acknowledged you. Yeah, he, he acknowledged me, me and said thank you and yeah. handed me a card and then headed off through the door where I couldn't go because it was security. Mm. And I was like, wow, mm. this is what I want to do. This is it. And it was from that point, the following day, going to train him, and that was a turning point for me. I mm-hmm. said to John, I want to train really hard. I want to do this. I want to do that. I want to come down three times a week. And John just had to kind of rein me in a little bit with Aye. my excitement. And <laughs> he just had to use fish and rod it and just... That's it. Just, you back in. He was like, let's just take it one step at a time. We'll gradually build it up. And yeah, the training did get harder. Mm. Obviously, I was putting in, you know, going an extra day a week then to build it up to, you know, going down on a Sunday as well, yeah. which was, you know, four times a week. And... Yeah, the training was difficult, mm. but it might sound strange, but I didn't find it difficult because I could not wait to get down to the track so, yeah, and train. Yeah. Did you take that sort of like early exposure and sort of pin it on your wall and be like, right, that's my sort of end goal. Yeah. And this is where I am just now. Yeah. Anything between that, I don't care about. This is just, yeah. I need to get it done. It's the hard work. It needs yeah. to happen. But I really, it doesn't matter what yeah. I need to do. You just need to get to that yeah. point. So it was, did you say it was... Do you think it would almost be like a sort of like that was your obsession to like get to that point? One hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah like absolutely. Just your, your your core drive. Yep. Yeah, you hit it right on the head there with what you said. From that point in time, that was just my mission. Mm-hmm. I lived and breathed athletics. Yeah. Um, you know, I had the posters on the wall of Linford Christie at the Olympics and coming out of starting blocks, and that's. You know, first thing that you see in the morning when you wake up, that's those pictures. That's what I want to do. Mm. I want to be an Olympic athlete like one for Christie. That's actually quite interesting. So, like, for kids that are looking to get into something like that, putting a poster above your bed just so that it's the first thing you wake up in the morning yeah. and see. And you, like you said, you wake up in the morning, like, yep, that's that's my reminder. That's what yeah. I'm on the planet to do. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and from that moment in time, that's all I had on my mind. Everything, my whole life was then basically being devoted to and channeled into my athletics, which was a great thing because yeah. it's a great, you know, any sports be, is great for kids to get involved in. Um, and it just went on from there. And like I say, the, the training was difficult, but I didn't find it difficult because I know that sounds contradictory, but I was just so happy to be there and so motivated yeah. and wanted it so much that training's hard. Yes, so what? Yeah. It's, you know, it's, bring, give me more. Bring it yeah, on. Bring yeah, it yeah, on. Yeah. I want yeah, more yeah. and more. And John was very, very patient and very clever on how he gradually, he says, look, you're at the bottom of this ladder mm. and we'll take gradual steps and we'll take our time and, you know, you'll get there. John always believed in me, which yeah. was another really good thing. You have to have people around you that actually believe in you as well. Yeah. And John did. Yeah. I think um, for, for me um, personally, when, because, before I left in 2015 to go to America for a summer where we knew that that was going to be happening from the year before um, and I had a flare up it was before I was just before I was diagnosed with, with my arthritis and I never knew what the issue was Yeah. and um, I can remember when I finally got back in at the tail end of winter training it was uh, January and I was competing I think it was in um, May before leaving in June and I only had one run um, for that year after the opening the club championships and, uh, and John was like, don't worry. He's like, you're running fast, boy. He's like, you're running fast. And he would always like laugh when like, he walked away. And you were always just yeah. like, I, I don't know if he's like taking the mic at me, if he's being serious. Um, but then I can remember 
driving to Grangemouth um, and he gave me a phone and he was just like, so how are you feeling? And I was just like, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling all right. Um, I, like I feel like I've prepared well. Um, I was like, uh, is there anything you like that, that I maybe need to focus on? He's just like, so when you get there, just check the weather. He's just like, but remember everybody's running in the same conditions. Yeah. He's just like, just make sure you come at the blocks, just like how you've been doing in training. And I was like, all right, cool. And from not comp- like competing obviously prior like to that competition yeah. for that year, I went out and ran 50.7, which might not seem like super fast, but it was only the year before was the first time I had got under 51 seconds and ran 50.01. So yeah. in the first race of that year, I was gutted, absolutely gutted to have been going to America yeah. because I was like, oh my God, I'm in such a good shape. Um, and it was just like unbelievable. So when I was driving back, I told him the time and he was just like, told you. And I was just like, oh God. Yeah. But he, he did, he always had that, and he, like you knew when when there was an athlete who was like maybe life was getting too much and then they started to like sort of tear away from athletics you sort of knew john was just like like it's it's fine don't worry about it and yeah. like he would he would sort of like work them because they they like you knew that they knew that they wanted to sort of get out of it but they didn't want to just like drop out out of disrespect so yeah he would always it would almost like sort of change their plan to to sort of suit and like accommodate them. Yeah. So it was like, he always, he always had a way of like working like with people. It was like he had, right. a, he had a, a good, yeah. a good knack for knowing. John would always say, you know, if people wanted to be there, they'll be there. Aye. If they want to come down training, they'll come training. Yeah. If they don't, they won't. That's, that was his, he had a very kind of good outlook on it. Mm. Um, you know, he always understood that people come and go. Mm-hmm. Um, people's situations change work-wise university you know you maybe have to go to a, a uni that's further afield mm. um all those things so he yeah. always he always pushed every single one of us to do like the best and whatever it wasn't just that's athletics right. so like when i when i was like starting to go to uni it was just like i was saying to him i was like i don't know how like how i'll work training and stuff and he was just like He's like, it's fine. He's just like, you, you'll train over there. Just follow the schedule. You'll be fine. Yeah. Just just get the work done. That's right. Eventually, I started to travel back and stuff. Uh, during that, was that winter, it was my first year of uni. I started to like travel back in between because mm-hmm. I couldn't train away from my group. It was just too hard. Yeah. But it was always like when I got back, it was like, right, come on, just get the work done. Nothing would change like yeah. with him. It, was just, right. it was like he'd never been away. Yeah. And it was just like... No, it was At the time, I was just, it was just take it for granted. But mm. see, now looking back, it's like, you you look back and you appreciate oh mm-hmm. like crikey like how how good I had it type thing yeah um just like the way that you were treated as a person and mm-hmm. obviously like as an athlete and just like the way he worked yeah everything was organised the schedule was there you knew what was happening before you came down that's right yeah and I mean the, the good thing as well is um he had athletes from fourteen fifteen year old um right the way through to myself who was mm-hmm. an Olympic athlete um to athletes that were older than me. Yeah. So good Scottish international athletes, Great Britain international athletes, Scottish junior international athletes. Yeah, they're real good. Um, there was a know, massive like wealth of athletes. Yeah, and bearing in mind, you know, John was a pensioner and he was turning up in the winter time, come rain or shine. <laughs> you know, absolutely freezing, snowing. He's, he actually, obviously, I, I don't know him. I've I've never heard him, but um, he actually almost sounds like a Mick from Rocky. Do you know what I mean? He's ah, like, yeah, yeah, he's he's yeah. he's there, you know, yeah. rain or shine. He's there all the time. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> making you straight chase yeah. like chickens and stuff. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it, it takes, uh, you know, it takes a lot, um, I suppose, to stand at a track um, when it's hammering down with rain mm. and freezing cold. Mm. Um, that shows commitment. 
Um, and you know these guys don't get paid for it. Coaches and athletics don't aren't paid. It's just, it's just a, a sheer passion. And, yeah, yeah, it's a, like an unwritten rule. You don't really charge for coaching. I mean, some people do it nowadays. Things are changing, but um, in our day, you, you didn't get paid for that. So you know to come out and do that is is pretty special. No, definitely. It's like to think to think now how much motivation I need to actually go and train, and then but that's like just getting to the track but it's mm. like he would just go and the only time that he wouldn't actually be there is if he had fishing like, that's right that's pretty much it the only time that he wouldn't be at the track is if he had a fishing competition yeah. um and it was just like oh like he was he would always be there you, you'll always be at the track and he that's would always right. be there and like standing at the track that's fine he had the stand but it's when we were doing hills during the winter i do not know how we could stand at the top of that hill and just just no even he would always be like laughing and smiling that's right and um, obviously mm-hmm. like when i was when i was um training he had roy uh roy, roy buchanan as his like secondary sort of coach that's right. and just like keep him company and stuff like that so it was always like a you knew that they were going to be there and i now that you've said that you sort of like pit like sort of a, a new perspective on just how much commitment it takes to actually just get out of the house and go down there absolutely but like, yeah he, he, he obviously just it was just him it was yeah. it was part of his life type thing uh, it's kind of crazy when when you when you when you said that there. I didn't even ever think about that before mm. you said that. So I, looking back on life, it's quite interesting. <laughs> <laughs> so like moving moving past like sort of like your 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 earliest sort of steps in athletics. Your what, what, what was your build up to your um your first Olympic Games? So you've competed um quite well. You've run really fast. You you even went to the Commonwealth Games um when you were still a, a teenager. So what was that like? And then after the Commonwealth Games, what was sort of your build up to your first Olympics? Yeah, well, I mean, nineteen ninety four was my Commonwealth Games year, um, but that started off as a year um, getting my first junior international vest uh, for the Great Britain team, uh, and that was in Warsaw and in Poland um, in nineteen ninety four, uh, running the two hundred meters, um, uh, and I was in lane eight. Um, which everyone was like, oh, bad lane draw. And I was like, absolutely not. No. Nah, lane is a good lane to have. I can just do one thing. I don't need definitely. to worry about anyone on my outside. I'll just run one race. And it was a headwind. And I was like, oh, it's not so good. But it was warm. It was nice enough conditions. And um, it was against Poland, I think France, Germany, maybe in another couple of teams there. Um, but as it happened, I won the race in my first international run, a PB. That's amazing. Um, and yeah, I just like really enjoyed the experience of, you know, being international travelled, uh, representing my country um, and yeah, getting a win, which was great. Um, oh, yeah. We also won the relay that day as well. There was a, a four by one relay on. Uh, we won that. So it was a great kind of like start to international. A um, never ending buzz. Yeah, I um and then that set me up for, you know, pretty much, I think it was three, four weeks later was the under 20 British Championships. Mm. Um, and I came second behind uh, Julian Golden, who was a, a really good sprinter. Um, so obviously we were automatically selected for the World Junior Championships. But um, I wasn't in the top 10 in the world at that point because mm. I hadn't broken 21 seconds. I think my PB at that time was like 21.09. Um, Close enough. <laughs> yeah, well, that's a, it's, it's not it's not a million miles away, and and John did set a target of my PB for the season would be twenty one, mm. and uh, I had said, well, I think I can run under. I don't know how far under, but I said I think I've got a really good chance of running under twenty one. And he said, well, let's go for twenty one. I think that's a, a good target because mm. my PB going into the season I think was twenty one five or twenty one high twenty one fours. Um, so went to the World Junior Championships. Um, 
and a very good friend of mine and teammate, Jason Gardner, um, uh, he got second in the 100 metres. This was in, in Lisbon in Portugal in 94. And um, he came back to the hotel room that night. I'd been down cheering the morning. and he said, and he brought the silver medal out and mm. he showed me and he said, Ian, you can get one of these. He says, you can, he said, I've got one. And he said, you're running every bit as good as me over 200. He said, you can get one of these, you can get one of these medals. And I was looking, I was thinking, I want this so much. Mm. And I just like looking at the medal thinking, oh, such a nice medal. Yeah. It's so heavy. I just want one. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, a couple of Again, almost goes back to the, the whole putting the poster on the wall and waking up in yeah. the morning. It's uh, giving you another material thing. Yeah. Go, that is mine. Yeah. I'm going to have that. Uh-huh. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that's right. And I mean, again, these are moments in time that I can remember like it was yesterday. I remember the hotel room. It was like a high rise hotel. And I remember where Jason was sitting, where I was sitting when we were chatting about this. Just the two of us. Um, he was my roommate. And um, I just thought, yeah, I want one of those medals. And when it was my turn, uh, lined up in the in the heats, ran a PB in my first round in the heat, um, ran a PB in the second round to make the semi. <sighs> then in the semi-final, I ran 20.91, so I broke oh. my 21-second barrier. You must have been buzzing. Absolutely, yeah. Um, you know, going back to the warm-up period and thinking, I mean, nerves, nerves absolutely beyond belief. Mm. I mean, I can't even describe, you know, you're nervous for every race. Oh, um, mm. For people that don't do sport or that, it'd be kind of like if you've done a driving test or went for a job interview, those mm. kind of nerves that you have will magnify that by a thousand palms, times yeah tummy all that sort of stuff it's quite nerve-wracking but going and get myself composed and um the, the time that i ran put me into the top 10 in the world um there was a very good wow. athlete from uh the bahamas at the time it was, was it bahamas or barbados one of the two obadeli thompson oh yeah uh, who went on to do great things and uh <laughs> oh, no, yeah. yeah and uh i put him out in my semi-final so i thought <laughs> i've definitely done i'm running well not here. too bad so Warmed up for the final, very, very nervous, like I said, got a terrible reaction time uh, in the final, mm. uh, ran a great brand, ran a good uh, home straight and crossed the line in 2094 mm. in third place. A Nigerian athlete who I still keep in touch with, Dej Yalu, just picked me on Ooh. the on, on the line. Uh, he had actually won the 100. He beat Jason Gardner, so a really good quality athlete yeah. and again went on to do good things in, in senior world athletics. Um so yeah, that was kind of like my first major, you know, taste mm. of success, and mm. just standing on the the podium, you know, medal ceremony, and yeah, yeah, yeah. it was Eurosport were there, so everything was filmed by Eurosport. What was sort of going through your head when you're standing up there, you know, collecting the medal and stuff, and you know, all these people eyes on you, sort of thing? Like, what yeah. was in that moment in time, putting yourself back there? What was going through your head? Um, it actually felt really surreal. It's mm. actually like you're having a dream. And you're watching that dream. It's mm. almost like, like you said earlier on, going down to the, um, obviously USSR and USA. Yeah, like it's like almost like the other end of the other yeah. end of the fence. That's it. You've you've flipped all that round. Yeah, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden your tri- childhood dreams are starting to come true, and you know you're like, I'm standing on a rostrum at the World Junior Championships because I've got a bronze medal here, and you know they're playing the national anthem for um it was america anthony wheeler that won it ran absolutely fantastic run 20 2064 i think he ran really good time really good athlete um so it was an american anthem and i'm thinking this is just 
such a surreal mm. feeling now on and, the world um, stage yeah on the world stage albeit junior but still the world mm. stage and um yeah just really taking it all in and and the sense of pride and the sense of uh the feeling of achievement mm. that all the training that I had done everything Stand over the years off. that yep. i put into this all the time that i'd given up not going out with friends um was all starting to pay off it was mm. all starting to come together and then in a few days later we were standing on the, the top step because i was part of the four by one really team um i ran third leg and we became world junior champions so then it was the uh, going home with two medals and it was the great britain national yeah, anthem. yeah. and i'm like wow and i mean <laughs> just the four of us standing on the top of the rostrum and we were kind of like just looking at the screen and there we were because it was a live camera feed and mm. we were on the screen and it was like Wow. Trying to stop yourself from making a funny face. Do you ever just like, do you ever just like nudge each other and be like, what's happening? Yeah, what is happening? (laughs) Yeah, when it finished, it's like, what do we do? You know, there's photographers there, so you have to stand and get your photos taken with other, you know, the other teams. And um, was there a lot of kids there as well? Like, wanting to, you know, like almost like you when you were younger, you know, were they coming up to you, you know, wanting to speak to you and, you know, get your autograph or all that sort of stuff? Yeah, that's when it really first happened. You know, you're leaving the stadium and, you know, there's families that have been there. It was always always a really good turnout, the World Junior Championships. It's a big thing. And, you know, walking back over to the the coach to take us back to the hotel and you've got, you know, kids asking for autographs and if they can have a a, a picture taken Mm. because they see you with your medal. So you're like, wow, this is kind of bizarre. You felt <laughs> yeah, like, a, little, I felt like, like a, a star for, for that short period yeah, of time. Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, it almost felt like, you know, someone maybe should have attached a bit of string to you just in case you floated away. Because <laughs> yeah, you just yeah. felt so So how did, you, how did you keep yourself sort of grounded then when you started getting that early exposure? And, you know, obviously this is before the Olympics, but as that started to happen, how did you sort of keep yourself in your own you know, mind frame, if that makes sense. Yeah, no. And not get too carried away yeah, at all. Yeah, because, I mean, you know, we've seen that in the past with sports stars, you know, they can get, let things get to them and they yeah. get a bit carried away. But I think as soon as I had finished, we were literally flying out the following day. So it's get home. Right. There was a, you know, a, an after championship party thing that we mm. went to for a few hours and then it was like, get back to the room, get your bags packed. So get it's all still plane. very serious even yeah, after. Yeah, yeah. And, and go home. And for me, it kind of like really switched the next day um, when we were at the airport and, uh, you know, we landed back in Heathrow and my teammates were coming up to me and saying, good luck at the Commonwealth Games, you know, go for it. I was the only junior out of their whole Great Britain team that had made mm. the Commonwealth Games team, obviously being, senior being from, from Scotland. Yeah. Um, obviously you had England and, and Wales, Welsh athletes on the Great Britain team as well. Um so yeah, when they basically said to me, um, you know, good luck and hope it all goes well, it was kind of like, yeah, I have to refocus now yeah. and regroup. I've got another major championship sort of do to them go to. Proud as well. so, yeah. So it was basically on the plane, on the shuttle back up to Edinburgh and I had time to think about it. And I was like, I'm flying out to Victoria and Canada in 10 days time. I'm going to be away from home again for a month this time. Um, and I've got another job to do. So let's yeah. get home, train for a few days. Obviously, get our, my head down with John, um, get the training plan sorted out, and, uh, and then head out to Canada. So it was quite easy at the time because I didn't really have time to to think about it. Yeah, um, just it, was, it was right into the again. next one. Mm. Yeah, so, so I think that was a good thing for me at the time. So did you know that you were going to the Commonwealth Games before the Junior Championships? Yes, I did. Yeah. So did you get told about both those selections quite close together? 
Um, off the top of my head, yeah, I think it was maybe within about two or three weeks of, of each other. So even yeah. that must have felt really wow. Yeah, I, I it was. Um, I'm sure the British Championships was first, then it was the Scottish. So I knew I was going to the World Juniors and then ran in the Scottish Senior Championships mm. at Meadowbank and then was selected did, for the team for the, the Commonwealth Games. And did you become Scottish Senior Champion that year? or uh, No, I think that was Douglas Walker that won that. So uh, you placed time. high, good good time, yeah. enough for selection. Yeah, enough for selection. And obviously um, my time from the World Junior Championships run in 2091 mm. had, um, you know, obviously bolstered Secured that. your place yeah, type thing. Yeah, but I mean, running coming second in the... And the national trials uh, for the Commonwealth Games, I was I was selected anyway. Mm, that's crazy because it's all changed now. There's no such like you don't get selection from national trials of that anymore for Commonwealth Games, or especially in Scotland. So like when when you're saying that, that's yeah. all like Dutch to me because it's all yeah. just it just goes by time now. Um, just like just before we get back on the rest, of it, well, like what's what's your opinion on that? Like how athletes now have to just run a time and run it twice within quick succession to get selection? Do you think is that? Would that like hinder quality athletes? Because you know yourself, when you go to a big competition, you mm. do tend to run better. Yeah. Like, what's sort of your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I had to do it. Um, you know, in my career as an mm. athlete, they did bring that that rule in. Um, it can be tricky, but it's the same old thing. It's the same for everyone. Mm. Um, and it was really just your luck, what races you chose to run, in and what the weather conditions were like. Mm. That's always so a big one. It's always a big one. You could turn up to tracks and have it, you know, for a hundred meter sprint, or you don't want a headwind. You could have that every race, yeah. And maybe one of your rivals go abroad somewhere and get a plus much one point nine, condition. much better conditions, and nail their their qualifying time early. Um, in that respect, I was always um, well prepared, and maybe lucky with the weather because, mm. you know, within maybe the first three or four races, I'd done the qualifying time, yeah. so. Um, do I think it's a good thing? Um, haven't seen it from both sides. I think there was still a time requirement that you had to meet if, I'm, yeah, if I remember rightly yeah, yeah. for the Commonwealth Games in '94. But the pressure um, of having that trial there would yeah. sometimes help. Yeah, that's right. Like, because you raise your game because you think, well, this is the trials for the Commonwealth it. Games, so I need to run really well here um, to enable me to make the team. Yeah, um, and then that's when you could possibly produce your best time. Um, so. Like I say, it's I've done both sides of it, and it's the same for everyone. Yeah. And sometimes it does come down to luck with weather conditions, but I don't have a problem with that no. that rule. No, to be fair, it was it was it was just to get like obviously your opinion on it because I can look at it from like a distance. Obviously, as as an athlete who probably won't ever reach because the times the like these days for qualifying are incredibly like fast, like seriously quick. Yeah. Um. So it's like unless you have it, like you you're not you're you're not gonna. Especially for sprints, like yeah. 100, 200, 400. The times are unbelievable. Um, so m moving back on then. So what was it like for your first Olympic Games? So you knew what you had to do. You knew it was an, an Olympic year. Was that necessarily, obviously, coming back from um, your successes in the years prior? Like, mm -hmm. Was your focus that year to get to the Olympics? Or was it just like, I'll see what I can do and if I make it, I make it? Like, What was your approach to that season? Well, yeah, I mean, it was to make the Olympic team. Um, that was 1996, obviously. So that was the main target for that year was mm. to run well on, you know, at the Olympic trials in Birmingham um, and make the Olympic team. Initially, you know, I was kind of looking at it and so was John as probably realistically making the relay team. Mm. Um, but for me at that moment in time, I was thinking, well, that's that's realistic. I think I can do that. Um, 
the reason why we went with that is because the season prior to that had had a few niggling injury problems in 95, having come off the back of obviously a really good season in 94. Yeah. 95 was my first year as a as a senior and um, just didn't run well at all. But to this day, still don't know the reasons why. There's nothing quite clicked. Yeah. I think just, it was like pressures of being a senior. Was it like, could it have even been just like frequency of competitions possibly? Because like I know that as a younger athlete, you do have more opportunity than when you do become senior. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, possibly it could have been that. I mean, I, I still think that 94 was such a big year and I'd done so much traveling, which I wasn't used to, mm. um, and two major championships in the one season and the Commonwealth Games ran quite late on in the season. It was the end of August before I got home and I still had a Grand Prix to run in Sheffield. So I think it was probably tiredness, fatigue from the year before. Yeah. Um, and just little, like I say, little niggling injury problems in 95. So we had set the target 95 winter going into 96 for the Olympic Games in Atlanta. John handed out the, the schedule at the beginning of the winter after his team meeting that he always yeah. had with, with his athletes. But you get your targets and you go, oh Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> you, get, you get your training times and you go, oh God. Yeah, that's right. You see what you've got ahead of you in terms of the training sessions and what times, target times that you have oh, to yes. run these in and then obviously what times he's looking what we think is realistic to, mm. you know, to achieve for that year. And I got mine and I got home and I got a big black permanent marker and I just wrote Atlanta right across it and stuck it on the wall. Mm. Same kind of thing as the posters. Yeah, so just every, the, that motivational yeah. thing to walk by. Yeah. And even though after the first month, that first month's uh, training phase had been done, you moved on to another sheet. I kept that same one on the wall that had Atlanta written mm. on it. And that was my target, and it was a really, really good winter I had. Um, no illnesses, no niggles, no injuries, no nothing like that. I had a great winter. Um, came out at the beginning of the season, uh, ran at Meadowbank in a men's league. Absolutely horrible conditions, really windy, uh, strong east headwind. It was raining, it was murky, it was horrible, but I'd had a good training camp in Portugal, warm mm. weather training. Um, and I think it was like a minus four headwind, and I ran 10.69. And John went, ah, right, okay. He went, that's pretty pretty amazing into those conditions. Um, he said, right, let's just go on to the next one. Um, we'll run these districts. And I went to the inter-counties. Um, and then when I was at the inter-counties, that was my first time that I'd run against Linford Christie. Um, Your and, once idol now enemy. <laughs> yeah, then competitor. It's sort of weird how it works out. Yeah, yeah. I know. It was <laughs> a, a bizarre situation. And like I say, it's, I, I keep on saying this, but, I remember it like it was yesterday and I came third in that race. It was Linford Christie first, Dan Braithwaite second and then myself. I and was did, third. You, did you speak to him after that and be like, oh yeah, oh, do you, I came up to you here's, and here's I got this the card, card off you. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, I did say to him after but I jumped off the podium. Uh, I never ever thought I would be standing on a podium with you. And he what didn't did say, say too much. He just kind of laughed and went, ah, oh, well, you know, hopefully there'll be many more of those. Um, which, was, which was nice of him to say that. Um, yeah, because sometimes, like, sometimes, like, you don't want to meet your idols because you don't really know. Mm. You don't want to know what they're actually like in real life. Yeah, you know? yeah. You, especially when you look up to some. Like, I've, I've always had this attitude. You know, all the people I look up to, if I seen them in the street, I probably wouldn't approach them purely because I wouldn't want them to turn around and go. Oh, do you know what I mean? Yeah, oh, you don't want here's the, a guy coming up to me and it totally ruins your yeah, you know your perspective on that person. Yeah, so yeah. like would you say that that's that's totally anti like totally polar opposite of Linford Christie then? Was he totally sound doing that? Sort yeah, of stuff? he was absolutely fine. You mm. know, I think, you know, 
Linford wasn't um, stupid that way. He knew that when people were on the track running mm. against them and they were making the same podium, mm. um, that you know they're a really good standard of athlete. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a great guy to look up to. So yeah, I I never said that he was like you know my idol and things like that because mm. I didn't want to embarrass myself. Even though I was kind of <laughs> thinking that, thinking this mm. is amazing. You know, yeah, I'll remember yeah. this for the rest of my life. Um, and then it went on from there. A few weeks later was the Olympic trials. Um, so obviously things had been going really well. Um, and the first thing I noticed was when I was down there on the, it used to be a Friday night, they would have the heats and then the semi-final and the final was on the Saturday. And um, when I was there, I had athletes that had never spoken to me before coming up to me and saying, oh, you know, you've been running absolutely brilliant. Everyone's yeah. talking about you. And I'm like, all right, okay, then, you know. You go just, away confused. <laughs> just went away and warmed up on my own, sat in a corner, <laughs> you know, in a gym out of everyone's road. And then we just turn up yeah, to yeah. do the job. And um, it was a roasting hot weekend, really good conditions. And, um, you know, come the final, obviously I made the final. Um, and then I came third in the final. Again, Linford Christie won it. Darren Braithwaite was second and myself was third. And at that point in the season, uh, Darren Campbell, um, fantastic sprinter um, from Manchester, he had actually run quicker than me. Um, so I was like, well, I'm definitely going in the relay. I knew mm. that at that moment in time. And I just remember seeing John and gave him, giving him a, a, a big hug. And, you know, I was like so over the moon because we knew that I was going to go to the Olympics. You had, and, made, you had made that target. Well, that's right. Yeah, exactly that, you know schedule that was on my wall with Atlanta written on it you know that had all come true so um, did you just put a big tick next to it then yeah basically that, that's what it was mm -hmm. and it was one of the first things when I crossed the line that I thought of I just seen an image of that schedule on my wall with Atlanta written in the mm -hmm. marker pen on it and thinking it's done you know I'm, yeah. I'm going to be gone in the relay um, and it was at that point where uh, John I said Mr McDonald I've done it and I said uh, you know uh, uh, you can call me John it's fine you know, after all that time <laughs> You need to be an Olympic athlete before you're allowed to call him John. John. Yeah, <laughs> for me, that was the case. Brilliant. Yeah, definitely. Although times definitely changed later on, I think, because the calibre, the, the bar yeah, had been yeah. set so high. <laughs> times had changed from years following. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and I mean, it was just a waiting game after that. Um, we came home on the Sunday night um, and I think it was the Tuesday, the Monday they had the meeting. I then got a phone call, an actual early phone call um, from British Athletics at the time to say, and I was absolutely gobsmacked to say that I'd been selected for the 100, which I was really shocked at because mm. Darren Campbell did have a 10-18 to his name from earlier in the season. And I was like, wow, I, I didn't see that coming. And they said, well, the way we've looked at it is every time you've ran from your very first race this year, you've got quicker, 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 mm. quicker. You've come down to the Olympic trials this weekend and you've you, performed you've, per hard. you've performed on the day you've came third and you've ran your PB again. Cause it was a PB that I ran at the time. Mm -hmm. So they said, we we're looking at the progression. Whereas Darren, no disrespect to him, mm -hmm. had run this quick time early in the season and just kind of was running the same time every race out. So that was the basis that they picked it on. And then mm. the following day, the recorded delivery came uh, via the postman oh, the at the door. And, well, Ooh. no, it was my letter to say. Oh. That was the, the official letter that's all written um, to say that you are, congratulations, you've been, uh, you know... Selected for the Olympic Games. Selected to represent Great Britain and Northern Ireland. What, does, the, that, what does that letter even look like? I can't even fathom yeah, what that solid, looks like. Solid gold. <laughs> yeah. I'm just imagining a gold envelope where, you know, the, the Olympic logo to the top <laughs> right. Do you know what I mean? It was um, 
just a normal brown paper when envelope, unfortunately. <laughs> open, open the envelope, my choir starts playing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been nice, actually. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Something but, needs to get on that technology. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I know. Um, I was actually at home on my own. Uh, my parents that I lived with at the time, they were on holiday, so I was just there on my own, so I opened this thing up, and when I drew it out, it had the, you know, the nice British athletics writing written along the top, and it was all mm. in colour and... Like I say, it said you've been selected to represent Great Britain and Northern Ireland um, in the Centennial uh, Olympic Games in Atlanta, 1996, for the 100 metres and 4 by 100 metres relay. And then reading it, and then reading it again, and then reading it again, and I put it down. I went into the kitchen, had a drink of water, thought I'll put the kettle on, I'll make myself a cup of tea, came I'll, back. I'll put the kettle on and then I'll read it again. <laughs> <laughs> and I picked it up and looked at it again. I think I must have read it six times. Kind of just, like disbelief that yeah. it was actually there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. As, if, as if maybe like, oh, it must have been a bank statement. I've just imagined that I read that. Yeah, you know what I mean? it yeah. was just really strange to see it. And then um, I think it was the day after that, I got another recorded delivery and it was a handwritten letter from uh, Prince Philip congratulating oh you running, you know, you know, doing so well at the um olympic trials and congratulations on making the great britain team and i still have that letter to this day you know oh, the, yeah definitely the treasure yeah. but yeah really nice handwritten mm. letter that you know all team members got so um yeah it was very surreal and then my life just went crazy after that because yeah, the phone imagine. for years just never stopped ringing after that i mean especially that that, that must have done your mum's head, didn't <laughs> Oh, I mean, it got to the point where it was that bad after a couple, they came back the following day and one day I just said, I'm going out, I have to get out, I'm going out for a walk because literally I was putting the phone down it and ringing. it was ringing again and I'm absolutely 100% being serious when I say that, it just went all the time to the point where I thought, I'm mm. going to go crazy here, I need to, <laughs> I was watching I need to an, stop talking about it. I an interview with Paul McCartney and he said in the early days of the, the Beatles career, what he used to do is he put like a flat cap on and a fake moustache and he used to sneak out his back door yeah, because yeah. He, like, kids would just sit in his front garden <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and he would be like, I need to get out, you know. <laughs> yeah, you just have to get away from it sometimes and don't get me wrong, it was really nice, the, the, the exposure. To be recognised. You know, yeah, you know, that's when you really think, wow what i've done here is obviously it, mean, yeah. it means a lot to people um that, that must so be many quite people, humbling as well that it means so much to so many people as well yeah i mean that's right like like i say you know i'm looking at this stuff and like every day we opened up the newspapers there was pictures of me yeah. and articles and this and that and and i'm looking out the window thinking i just live in a you know quite a rough council you still estate. You oh yeah, yeah 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 i still live there yeah. yeah and i'm looking and i'm thinking I'm just a normal guy from, you know, a council housing estate. And I just couldn't really get my head around all the attention. I just thought, I'm just doing what I enjoy doing. You know, there seems to the be a big a, a big fuss around yeah, it. And I yeah. thought, I just can't wait to go training tonight. You know, don't want to be answering phones. I just want to go down and do my training. And um, yeah, that's when I had to kind of start getting used to Attention. Like, things have changed now, mm -hmm. so you know this might be the way things are for was a that while. Was that sort of a pinnacle moment where you're like, right, this is a different game. It's completely different. Yeah, that's um, when I knew it was quite serious. Yeah, yeah. Um, I thought people are taking notice now, not just people within sport, but the wider public. Uh, uh, you know, they're taking an interest. Journalists mm -hmm. are, you know, fighting to get an interview with you to come mm -hmm. to the house to meet you here, meet you there. Yeah. Can we take pictures? Can we come to the track? Yeah. Um, you know, STV, BBC wanting to come down and film your training sessions and um 
you know, it could and this get... was all before social media and that as That's well. Right, so yeah. it's even more incredible yeah. that it's reached so far so quick. Yeah, could, I mean, could I you think... imagine if Twitter was there at that oh, time? Oh. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what it'd be like now um, if if all that technology was back when I was running. I don't know if I would like it. What's your I opinion think... on that? Because obviously we're we're quite a tech based podcast. So yeah. I'm curious to obviously back back it was obviously the phone would stop wouldn't you know i'm assuming that's a landline it would just wouldn't stop yeah. ringing the yeah. like landline. what 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 is yeah, your exactly. <laughs> what's a landline exactly. you know what i mean but like what is your opinion on sort of the the modern day you know social media reach of like athletes now because they can have so much more influence yeah. on their audience now oh yeah i mean like direct influence yeah i think in that respect it's a very good thing um i mean you can you know, all your sponsors, you can say, yeah, thank you very much to Mizuno Sportswear for, you know, all the kit that I've got uh, now in the contract. And, you know, you can pop little things like that and like product mm. placement, basically, you know, you're sitting at a track, you can have your racking some more cash, energy drinks <laughs> or whatever it is. You're... So it's like, as an athlete, you could really help yourself in your own career by like, yeah, furthering exposure. That's right. It's like the only time you could really expose your sponsors at the time is by actually running hoping the media caught you type thing. Yeah. And being in like magazine articles mm. on the TV and newspaper articles. Um, you know, but Mizuno were clever. They made me um tops for all their sponsored athletes, I suppose. They made you and the, the, the the symbol was right up on the collar. So when they were on the TV, they couldn't yeah. chop it. So it was always in there, which is great. That's clever. Uh, yeah, absolute yeah. clever stuff. Um, things like that. So I think in that respect, social media is great for that. Um, but I think personally, I would keep mine to a minimum. Um, I would use it for that. But I think it could get probably really intense. Mm. Um, so do you think you would maybe get much. someone on for you? You know, yeah. just like you know, take the brunt of it and then you can come in when you want to, yeah. to voice your opinion or to promote something exactly. or, and then you can then take the step back Absolutely. and let someone else take over. Because I've seen it going bad for other, some athletes, yeah. you yeah. know, who, when they haven't run as well, people have been criticising yeah. them on their social and that, media and then and they're, they're arguing back. As well. Yeah, exactly. Mm. So that I wouldn't want nothing to do with. I'm quite a, a private person. I like to keep myself to myself. Mm. So yeah, it would be under no illusions that I would know the benefits of it, but would be very selective of how I use social media. Yeah. Um, I think I think some people out there, you know, and it's totally up to them. Everything's out there on social media. It's very that, easy that, to get carried yeah, away with as well. That wouldn't be for me. Mm-hmm. That I would, I'm, like I say, I'm a private, quite a private person, like to keep things low key, mm-hmm. you know, don't like to be showy or anything like that, but I would use it in the way that it suited me. Mm-hmm. And, and you still live in them firmly now as well I do, so yeah. is, is it still the same or is it sort of quieting down a bit now or it's quieting down funnily enough i was in the gym this morning um just finishing off um some um like course core work that i was doing beach ways and uh <laughs> yeah that's basically how it is now you know i can pick and choose i can do the old uh venice beach weights but um now i was finished off doing my core and this guy came in that i'd never seen before and as he walked past he went excuse me, are you Ian Mackey, the Olympic sprinter? And I went, well, retired a long time ago. <laughs> he went, oh, wow. He said, I've seen you around and done Fremlin loads. Uh, he said, I'm so glad I've had the opportunity to just even say, hello, can I shake your hand? So he, he shook my hand and his name was Gary, really nice guy, former Royal Marine in his days, yeah, 54 yeah. years old. I actually got chatting to him. And uh, he used to do a bit of weightlifting um, over at Meadowbank. And that was just today. Mm. Um, you know, this just this guy that I'd never seen in my life walked in and I seen him doing a double take when I was doing my, my stomach exercises mm. and like I say, that's 
what he said to me, you and Mackie, the Olympic sprinters. And he said, I remember seeing you doing training sessions in Dunfermline's mm. public park running up that hill. And he said, I'd always <laughs> wanted to talk to you, always wanted to say something, but yeah, didn't, yeah. didn't ever want to pester you. I went, oh, no, not, not, not at all. I mean, um, you know, it's just, uh, uh, that's training. And he was like, ah, he said, oh, after all these years, that's amazing. And seemed quite happy that he had met me. So, yeah, even to this day, there you that, go. That, that was, must feel brilliant. In a way, I mean, I can imagine if it was caught like twenty four seven, it'd be annoying. But like, yeah, it must feel amazing. Someone coming up and just going, "Do you know what? You're brilliant." Do you know what I mean? And and what you've done, and I've seen you do this, and I've seen you here, and just giving you that recognition that quite rightly you deserve. Do you know yeah, what I mean? I mean that must be such a really really cool feeling. I think for me, it was just nice that this guy, um, you know, obviously had thought, "Wow." You know, he had a, like a lot of respect for what I had done, but I'm looking at him and had heard about how he was in the Royal Marines. Mm. Now, to me, that's like, yeah, wow, it's like a two way thing. To, yeah, thing, yeah, I was really impressed with you know the life that he had had as mm. being a former uh, Royal Marine. I mean, I've got friends that are former military parachute regiment and in various different regiments, um, in the British military, and quite a few friends actually. So I was impressed by that. Um, and when I left the gym, I just gave him a wave, said, nice to meet you. I'll see you again next time. Um, so, but yeah, no, it is, it, it was nice. Cause you think, wow, God, you know, I'm coming up for 45 next year, being away from the sport for a long time, but there's someone that still mm. said, I used to watch you on the TV and, yeah. you know, it's it so nice to meet you. And I'm like, wow. Quite You're a, like, quite I'm nice just thing me. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. Still like, like I say, still find it strange. And I think. What you said is is quite right. Um, I think if you're really really famous, uh, that's a different ball game. I would yeah, not like yeah. that. Um, I mean, Can't when go I go anywhere and be yourself. Yeah, yeah, I mean, when I was at the height of my career, you know, people did, you know, did recognise you a lot anywhere in Britain. I've been in the centre of London, and you know, kids yeah. have come up and asked for an autograph and things like that. Not a lot, not compared to some other athletes, yeah. but you do get recognised, especially people that really liked athletics mm-hmm. and, um. You always kind of think, wow, it's almost like you're being watched when you're out in public, <laughs> um, which is why I've never understood some of these reality TV shows where you can see someone's sole objective is, is to, to be, be famous. Yeah. And I'm like, I, I don't get that because mm-hmm. I, I, I don't think there's any kind of fun and people watching you. And, <laughs> that's, yeah, that's what I was. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, a, a, an athlete, a, an athlete friend of mine who was very well known. And sometimes when you were out and about, you know, maybe end of season, you're walking down the street, it took ages to get anywhere because mm-hmm. constantly getting stopped. And of course you have to be very polite. Yep. No problem. Yeah, of course. Um, but sometimes you were just like, oh, come on, let's mm-hmm. just get going here. This is, this is crazy now. And you know, even sitting in a car there, people are pointing. If you're in a restaurant, people yeah. are looking when you're eating your dinner. I just would not like that. Yeah, I'm yeah. glad that my, you know, what I've done was, you know, as Bad an athlete was, thing you know, not crazy fame or anything like that. I wouldn't wish that upon anyone, but some people seem to thrive on it. Yeah. But if that's what they like, then, you know, fair, fair, fair yeah, play yeah. to them, you know, <laughs> that's fine. It's not for me though. One of, one of my friends uh, that I was that I'd done my undergraduate um, course at university with, um, I only re- learned recently, he's now working in the uni, but he's actually quite close friends with Louis Capaldi. He has been friends with him since before he was, yeah. he was obviously famous. And he was saying that like, I mean, like Louis actually, but like him and his mates, like a villa and, and like Ibiza just to get away and stuff and yeah. like he has to he's like see when they go out and stuff they have to like try their best to just like 
get away from it all and book their own yeah. private thing and stuff. It's like, it's not that he wants to like book these things to be big and famous. He was saying he's like, he just wants to spend time with his mates. Yeah. And he finds it so difficult to just chill it with his mates yeah, and be just himself. like, ah, exactly. Cause like his, his rise to fame has literally just been one year boom up there. And I, I like, I put it like, it, it was only then in my head and I was just like clocking it back. I was just like, that must be really, really hard hmm. to, to have to like try and just walk to the toilet. That's what he's saying. He was like, there was one time when, when when Lewis was trying to walk to the toilet, there was that much people coming up to him and stopping him, and he was like, "It was ready, pishies." Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. Yeah, <laughs> apologies for that. Beep that out. <laughs> but you know what I mean. It was it like, it, it, and it, it was it was just a struggle. Just simple things like that, and yeah. you're just like, you, as you say, is you have to try your best to be polite because you know it's you, like you are your brand type thing. Like yeah. only you represent you in, in that scenario. I I, I think I, I think I can gauge exactly exactly what what you were meaning there yeah we better stammer there and <laughs> <laughs> um, so after after the olympic games so you're saying obviously 10 one was was the time sort of to beat you never beat it but you still got selected that year after the olympic games you ended up running 10 that's right so like like what after the olympic games obviously um can you talk us through like what happened to the olympic games like what went well what didn't and then what led you to then run so much faster after the games? Yeah, well, I mean, I think we had a, a good training camp in Tallahassee in Florida leading up to the, mm. the Olympic Games. Um, that was for all the great Britain Olympic team um, for track and field anyway. That's where we were based. So um had some good training sessions then. Uh, there, sorry. Flew up to Atlanta. Didn't do too much when we were there. Jog, stretch, some strides because we're only a few days really yeah. away from competing. Um, so, yeah, Ran in the first round, um, you know, came second by Dennis Mitchell. We both crossed the line at the same time. Actually found it quite strange that there I was running the the first round in the uh, Olympic Games in the 100 metres and um, easing down with 20 metres to go. Crazy. Um, you know, which was a, a strange feeling, um, crossing the line with an American athlete, which the stadium obviously went absolutely crazy for. Um, so it was an electric atmosphere. And then, uh, you know, running in the second round um later on that day um you know good warm up again no signs of any uh, anything untoward um basically gun went bang again i was running against mike marsh an american mm. sprinter um i came second in my second round um but about 30 meters before the line i just felt my hamstring twinge oh. and it was sore enough to think right i've, I've myself yeah i've i've done a, a few fibers here slowed down again cruised across the line um second place and just i knew when i crossed the line i thought if i run on this tomorrow i'm gonna tear it bad i, I just knew straight away um it was just a, a i knew by the intensity of the pain um so got in through the media area really quickly got to see the physios and um you know got ice and everything on it got massaged got back to the team headquarters in the Olympic Village, uh, spoke with the doctor and the physio, and they were saying, look, ultimately the decision lies with you um, on if you run mm -hmm. or not. We can try and do everything to get you on the track, but there is a high chance that you will tear it. That you will tear it. And it's, you know, do you want that in the Olympic semi-final, pulling up or jumping up in the air kind of thing, which I didn't. Um so it was kind of devastating for me because I was just starting to run quicker and quicker. So I was in really good form when I was there. 
the only thing that I could take away from it was that I wasn't the only person getting injured. That track was rock hard mm. and everyone was getting hurt on it. There was a lot of people taped up, a, a lot of injuries, um, a lot of people not making finals because they were injured. Yeah. And that, these were Olympic mm. potentials for making medals, you know, to be Olympic champion. So I had to take, you know, some something from that that I wasn't the only one um, and made the decision that night, unfortunately, that the best thing for me to do was not to run because mm. I was looking at the future years down the line. Is it going to weaken my hamstring for the rest of my career? I'm just starting out here. I don't want to do that. So I decided not to run. Um, and whether this was a smart idea or not, I don't know. But that night I went down to the track anyway, down to the stadium to watch. I wanted to watch the final. Um, and yeah, they called the uh, semi-final up and there was my name on the big screen with uh, DNS, does not start in my lane, which is a bit... Um, sort of like... It, it was hard to daunting. take. Yeah, yeah, just looking at that thinking, I should be running in this race. Yeah. And I think I ran 10.24 in the second round and that was into a headwind and I'm sure it was 10.11 that made the final with a tailwind. And I think I could have run that. Absolutely. Um, that's all... Hindsight's Matter a wonderful of a thing, fact, though, that's yeah, a thing. That's all, you know, nothing that I'll ever, ever know, but um, I don't really, you know, get caught up on that. Um, so glad to have stayed to watch the final, though, because obviously the world record was broken. and uh, By the big man. You know, yeah, Donovan Bailey became Olympic champion, which was just absolutely incredible. Um, so it was a, a great thing to see, but I flew home a few days later, um, came home to see my own physio, um, had a few sessions with with her, with Rita Lockhart, who's sadly no longer with us, who passed away a few years ago, um, and got myself fit again. Um, ran at Gateshead um, in the, the Grand Prix, where <laughs> uh, Donovan Bailey was was racing. It was his first race after the Olympics, and uh, he ran 10.18, I ran 10.21. So you can imagine that is like really close. Mm. You could literally not get a bit of paper between <laughs> our chests. And I think there was a huge gasp in the stadium and, and Gateshead when we, we dipped across the line because I think everyone thought I was going to steal his thunder, but he, he managed to get a win there. And that's when I thought, right, okay, I've come back. I've got over this injury. And you're right neck and neck with the Olympic and world champion. Yeah. I knew at the time that he was, you know, to run in something like that after the Olympics, you're on a massive come mm. down. You've maybe not had as much training in. Um, motivation wise you're, you're, you're kind of struggling but I thought mm. I'm, I'm taking that anyway that was a good mm. run and the week after that there was quite a few races back to back we were at Crystal Palace and it was over 150 metres and again it was a Grand Prix I was running against Linford and I got within a few hundreds of a second of Linford and I thought alright so this is getting better again mm. and I had a little think to myself and I thought I ran I ran well there two weeks time it's the it's the last Grand Prix in Britain um, for the season. It's in Sheffield. I think it was the 26th of August or the 28th of August. And um, I flew home the following day and I caught up with John at training and I says to John, John, I think I'm going to beat Linford next week. I said, I think I'll beat him. I said, I, I, I'm def I think I can definitely do it. I think it was two weeks away. And he says, well, that's fine. Don't tell anybody. Keep it. Keep that to yourself. I said, well, you were the only person that was planning on telling. So um, I told him uh, and we got our training. Had a good, good two weeks worth of training. Went down to Sheffield, um, ran the 100 metres and beat him. 
was the first British athlete in uh, 15 years that I'd beaten one for no British wow. sprinter that had ever beaten him. And uh, I beat him by a hundredth of a second. Um, Two hundredths of a second. He, you was ran 10.17, you ran 10.19. Was he 19? I thought it was, was one eight. nine. There you go, well. There you go. So you smashed him. That's it, exactly. <laughs> well done. That was a, a major defeat. But um, Don't be bothered about it, you smashed him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that didn't actually, I thought it was a hundredth of a second, so there you go. But I was just, I was just curious, um, I've, I've been looking up at your, your power of 10, uh-huh. um, just checking some of the old results, because not all the results are there, there's yeah. a lot missing. Um, but the one that that's that's one that's there. Um, it's got your name, big big red PB, and then Linford Christie below you. Yeah, um, <laughs> so, yeah. there you go. Well, I mean, that was absolutely incredible. There was a Nigerian athlete that won it. Um, Davidson is in, I think his name or Oswin. There was two brothers, two Nigerian brothers. Mm. Um, he won it, which was a shame. I would have liked to have won it and beaten Linford, but. Six months later, I think it was um, Davidson is in why he tested positive. So it's kind of a real shame that yeah. kind of race win was taken away from me there by someone yeah. that was cheating. But you know that's that's all by the by. Um, the main thing was that I had beaten um, Linford, and you know no British sprinter had ever done that. So um, yeah, it was incredible. I remember Jim Rosenthal, who was one of the main commentators at the time. He was there and spoke to me and. I had to go to this big press conference afterwards and, you know, there was the all the media sitting in this room and sat, got answering questions for mm. like a good 40 minutes. And then it was just like I went um, uh, for a, a bit of a break. It was the last race, so it was kind of like I'm having a few weeks off now. Yeah. So I went down to Cardiff with Colin Jackson, the hurdler. And um, next day, went to Tesco's and there was all the newspapers. Tesco's. Um, yeah, down down the down the news agents, down the down the supermarket to get the the various papers, and uh, yeah, it was on the front page of some of these papers, and I was like, oh my god, you know, look at this, this surreal. is really bizarre. All the major newspapers in Britain, so um, it must have been like complete contrast, though, because here's obviously Linford Christie who had been disqualified from the Olympic final yeah, that's right. that year. You had obviously taken the decision to to not run the semi final. But you were of the mindset of I've made that decision. I'm working up, whereas he's obviously full started twice, been been yep. put out. Obviously, the old rules, uh, two full starts, you know, and um, and then he's then been beaten by yourself. Whereas you were like getting faster and faster and faster. And I'm going to beat him. Yeah, I'm going to beat him. And it's one of those things like one of my training partners, Jack. When when he when when he has gone into a race, if he says I'm going to win this, like there, you can just see it. If yeah. he knows his own form and he, he says it, you, you're, I'm tuning in to watch that race. Yeah, because that, that there's that like sort of self belief there, that yep. it, it comes very rarely when mm-hmm. you know you're running well. You're going into a race and you go, "I'm going to win this." Yeah, and that, that's obviously like complete contrast. So it's obviously like the British media they've they've seen Linford's decline and then your rise obviously yeah. on that front. Yeah, and to run that fast like. It must have felt really good, but what was like your feelings toward Linford? Obviously, you're once idol, now you're standing on his career. Yeah, I you're I think he had a poster of you. <laughs> <laughs> he may have done after that. <laughs> Maybe he'd be throwing darts at him right enough. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, um, yeah, a very strange feeling, I suppose. Um, you know, driving back down to Cardiff in the car just kind of like looking out the the window at the world going by and thinking, you know, wow, I've just beaten my idol. 
Um, the man who encouraged, like, what, yeah. that's, he was the one that got me into this. Like, that's right, yeah. Um, you know, just years before getting his autograph as a 15-year-old um, and being in awe of him to then, you know, what, six years later. Stepping Which is on, a short time. Yeah, stepping on the track and beating him. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's one thing that I've said to a lot of um, school kids in schools that I've been into, dr- dreams do come true. Take mm-hmm. it from me, they do come true. Because mm-hmm. my dream was to become an Olympic athlete and my dream was to run against Linford Christie, be a teammate of Linford Christie's and uh, ultimately to beat Linford Christie. And I went and all those dreams came true. Mm. So I said, I, I'm living proof that if yeah. you've got a dream, do not think that dreams don't come true because they do. So if you've got a dream of being a top lawyer or, you know, the best tennis player in the world, someone from somewhere has to do it. So why can't it be you? Mm-hmm. If you, you know, you've got to believe in your dreams. You've got I'm to go, goosebumps. I think. you've got to go out and pursue your dreams. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it is true. I have told my own kids this, you know, if you have a dream and you've got something that you really want to go for, you know, you've got to go for it because mm-hmm. I'm telling you now, I had dreams and they come true. Yeah. So I think um, definitely for like my perspective, like I grew up in North Ayrshire mm-hmm. and I think kids, particularly from maybe like Scottish schools, they don't kind of feel, because you don't really feel like they've got like as much opportunity as like some of these yeah. bigger, bigger stars for like London, yeah. Manchester. Or even like as many idols really to yeah, look up to. kind of, yeah. Like, I mean, that's why I, I think like people like yourself and... You know, people who do come out of Scotland, like we're talking about, again, just different side of things, but mm. Lewis Capaldi, again, coming out of yeah. nowhere in Scotland. I think that's why, like, they, they're so important to be going into schools and going, look, yeah. this is what you can achieve. Yeah. I know you're from, like, a council estate in, in I don't know, Dunfermline, but yeah. look what I've done. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? That's like, right. It's, it's, it's like also, it's almost like not using that as an excuse to hold you back. Yeah. If that makes sense. That's right. Yeah. You don't have to go down the same route as everyone else thinking, mm-hmm. well, I'm from here, so this is how I must act and behave and, you know, live my life. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be like that. Mm-hmm. You know, you can choose to be different and, and go and do your own thing. 100%. Yeah. And, 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 and break the mold. And yeah, for Lewis Capaldi, um, you know, being from Scotland, maybe kids now will think, well, I like music. I like mm. playing the guitar. Yeah. I like singing. Why not me? Yeah, It's exactly. given more exactly. kids dreams now that he's from Scotland. He can do it. So why can't I? Mm. Yeah. Even Think- other athletes like Andy Murray as well. He captured a yeah. lot of youngsters as well. When, That's right. When he was competing in Wimbledon. Yeah. Um, I know he's, he's sort of taking a bit of step back due to injury and stuff. Yeah. And he's now doing a lot of doubles. But he was at, like, when I was, I must have been about 15, 16, and even I was like, I could do tennis. That's, yeah. that's really cool. I never never went and done it, yeah. but it, gives it you was the just belief. that, that it gives you that yeah. thought, oh, I yeah. could do that. That's and it's right. only because he's, he's it's like, it's, he's from where you're from. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's and right. And it's, it's brilliant. I mean, I, I really like the way he conduct his, conducts his life. Mm. I mean, kind of going back to what we were saying earlier, um, for such a mega star that he is in the world of tennis and obviously in British tennis he's mm-hmm. the be- best British male tennis player we've ever had um, but when do you ever see him at celebrity things celebrity magazines yeah you know when he got married he didn't have it on all those magazines and things <laughs> he just does his own thing he's just you doing walking the dog <laughs> you never yeah, see him out in social media a lot yeah. either I think uh, if I'm believed to be right he bought a Ferrari and just felt like an idiot driving so he ended up driving yeah. around and he's yeah. at the, the time he's, his wife now but his girlfriend at the time he's driving around in her Volkswagen Polo and he went yeah, and sold yeah. that because <laughs> he was just like this isn't me 
you know, he does his own thing. Um, so I have a lot of respect for him. I actually have a friend that knows him pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, and he says, yeah, he's like, you know, as down to earth as you like. Um, mm-hmm. You know, good guy. So um, There's something severely humbling about like a sports star or a celebrity who is just them if that yeah. makes sense like mm-hmm. you see you see their performance and their act and like how they are and in, in the professional sort of area that they need to be in but then when that to do come in and conduct yourself or if you ever do pass them by like it's almost as if they just blend in and you have to sort of yeah. go oh oh, oh right. it's you and yeah. then but you didn't realize because they're just being themselves yeah. and it's just it's, it's more like sort of humbling mm-hmm. and it makes it that much better and you you do start to have like a little bit more respect on, on yeah. that front for them that's right it is, it's kind of i it's it's, it's one of those things where you look at it and you go, what, what, well, I look at it now and I'm like, well, what would I be like if I was if I was in that position? And mm-hmm. it's one of those things that it's really hard to say. Yeah. Um, but when you were like talking about like all those stars that like are on all the TV shows and that their sole purpose is to be famous and be in your yeah. face, you, you look at them and you're going, oh, come on, eh? Like, yeah. come on. Well, sometimes now you look at the TV, I don't watch any of these reality things because I just can't be room with them. Um, but like I'll say to the wife, who's that? And she'll say, I don't know. It turns out it's someone that's in some program about made in it, Chelsea or something. Yeah, something like that. And they're like, <laughs> they're actually on a celebrity program. Well, yeah, yeah, how yeah. are they a celebrity? They're it's just, like I know, see a lot of like, uh, like you know the Facebook events, and it's like meet and greet and, yeah. and HMV in Glasgow or something. It's like who's that? And oh yeah, he was on uh, Love someone, Island or something. Yeah, you know it's, I mean? it's some <laughs> someone who was <laughs> a really bad program that you <laughs> yeah. don't want to ever watch. Yeah. Someone who was once in the audience of Jeremy Kyle. He, <laughs> he was on Big Brother <laughs> ten years ago. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, I actually have a, a guy from Quinn because I grew up in Quinn. And uh, Mikey, uh, it was in, I can't remember what year he was in Big Brother. He was he was blind. I don't know if you remember. Oh remember yeah, I remember he, him. I he remember he lives name. just up the road from mom and dad. He, he was so like funny. when he was in Big Brother or when he came out of Big Brother, there was like a full thing. There was a community event. Like he turned the Christmas lights on and right. down and everything. It was, <laughs> yeah, it was it's madness, isn't it? He was he <laughs> was Britain, hilarious. Britain's though. gone mad. Yeah, totally. <laughs> no, definitely. Um, so after that season, obviously that's a like the, probably the biggest until that point that was the biggest year of your life yeah like wow like how how can how can you then adjust yourself to then reset your goals because obviously it's a four-year cycle for an olympic yeah. games how do you then like to see it so far away right my next chance is in four years time mm-hmm. that must be like it takes a lot of determination and grit but like how do you actually really like reset yourself to go again like yeah, I mean, uh, again, it was quite easy. Um, as soon as that season finishes, you have some time off, like three mm-hmm. to four weeks. I was always desperate to get back to training after those three or four weeks. You know, don't get me wrong. You feel done, like guff. You've done a lot of traveling. You, you know, mm-hmm. you've you've you know you've been all over the world. You've been racing, so that it's nice just to think oh, I can just really chill out now. Mm-hmm. Eat kebabs. Um, yeah, <laughs> you know, eat what you like. Go go to the cinema. You know, with your friends on a normal weekend. Have and, a and family sized bag of crisps. Yeah, to that's yourself. it. Exactly. <laughs> just sitting watching a film, and you know, just generally be how you want to be. Um, and then always really eager to get back into training. But I think for the main thing for me is you'd be like, right, next year's World Championships. So it just all starts again mm. because you've had a, already had a successful season. Everything's went well. All is you're like totally motivated for is I want more of that. Mm. I want so much more of that. Mm-hmm. You know, the next stage is semi-finals, finals. We want to make that. Want to make sure you know try and stay healthy. Um, and so all your motivation going through the winter time is just like it's full on for uh, winter training. Doesn't matter what the weather's like. Um, 
you're just down there loving it, getting on with training, doing your hills, doing your gym session, doing your track session, mm. doing your plyometrics, your back to back. Each week does go in so fast. And it is quick. Yeah. Um and before you know it, you're pre season again and your chain your your training is slightly Step changing. Up. Yeah. And it's starting to go from like your long slog winter work <laughs> into speed endurance, from speed endurance into speed training and then the competition start and you know motivation was never ever a problem for me from season to season there was always something big mm. that you had a target yeah. for the yeah. following year so um i never ever kind of thought oh no you know that was such a big year how am i going to replicate that because mm. there was always something big that you wanted to do and um you know 97 was no different it was a world championship year um i wanted to become british 100 meter champion mm-hmm. um linford at that moment in time had announced his retirement um said he wasn't uh, racing again um he was like i can't be having him for scotland beating me again <laughs> <laughs> and uh well yeah i mean you know maybe just as well went down to birmingham and became british 100 meter champion and, and made the team for the world championship so again that was the next season the next major event and it just like each year went by that's mm. how it went there was always a major championship it's actually really busy now for athletes you know there's you know, Commonwealth years sometimes Diamond had the European and Championship. Yeah. And the team uh, championships and, uh, and Olympic years as well. Yeah, Europa Cup and things like that, as it used to be called. It's European teams now. Um, like you say, the Grand Prix circuit, I was racing on that. That's how, you know, you peak for mm. like the Olympic trials or the world trials or, um, you know, the Olympics themselves. You, you run against the best in the world in the best races. It used to be uh, the Golden League. It's now called the Diamond League. It's absolutely no difference. Same mm. races at the same stadiums. <laughs> different logo. Um, yeah, just a different logo, but it's the same lucrative Grand Prix circuit. Um, and, you know, I absolutely loved, you know, going to these races, um, looking at the 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 sheet the night before. Right, who have we got here? Oh, well, Linford Christie's running, Donovan Bailey, Morris Green. Atto Bolden, Frankie Fredericks, etc., etc. You're like, bring it on. I can't wait to run tomorrow. <laughs> Come on. You know, I just wanted that to happen there and now. That's how eager I always was. Never ever intimidated me, you know, huge respect for all the guys you mm. run against. You had to. These guys are like world record holders, Olympic champions, yeah. world champions, but just so much wanted to run against them. That's what you're there for. They're there to beat me. I'm there to beat them. Yeah, it doesn't matter who they are, it's just yeah. about the game. Yeah, yeah. it's a doggy and dog world, really. That, yeah, that's yeah. it, exactly. And, um, you know, I just wanted to get in there and get running against them. And I remember getting up in the morning thinking, oh, yeah, this is great. This is competition tonight, running the 100 metres in Lausanne. Cannot wait. And, you know, just getting all your kit ready in your room, putting your number on and mm-hmm. make sure you've got everything that you need, packing your bag and then thinking, right, my bus is going down at three o'clock, so... I'm going to jump on this bus and then traveling down, just looking out the window with your music playing and, and your own thoughts. And your Walkman. That's it. Yeah, it was back then. A cassette. A cassette. Who's, who's, you know, kids don't even you know what to, those are now. You had to get your pen and un- like wing back. That's like right. the tape. Yeah, tape back together. That. Aye, that's right, yeah. Well, obviously, like um, uh, that, that, that year was obviously a massive year. You went to the World Championships, but probably th- this, this like me personally, and I've watched it so many times, and it seems like really cheesy, but... Yeah, 150 meters like to me is always like like when i look at you you've obviously like later in your career you ran 10 flat windy and stuff super fast times but yeah. to be able to hold that speed for that extra 50 i've, I've watched that 14.99 seconds yeah like how that 
that was early in the season as well, like right. way back in May. Yeah. Like, did you not feel like absolutely broken after running that fast? Because that is so fast. Yeah. Sub 10 second pace. Yeah. I didn't actually, the next day I got up, I remember going back um, to the house and having a really cold bath just to, you know, chill the legs down, any mm. inflammation, anything like that. Woke up the next day, legs felt absolutely fine. Um, was was feeling really good. Um, I think that came as a big shock to a lot of people. I was running against Patrick Stevens, who was sixth in the Olympics the previous year in, in Atlanta in the 200 metre final. And he had just come back from uh, South Africa where he had run 20.31, I think. Mm. And he says, I cannot believe how quickly you just ran there. He said, we were nowhere. <laughs> he said, we were like, you know, 10 meters off the pace. Um, and it just seemed to be one of those days. Um, as soon as the gun went bang, I had a good week's training leading up to that. Um, ran an excellent bend. And when I came off the bend, I just thought, well, this feels I'm like super flying. easy. I'm just mm. absolutely floating and along the track. So I mean, for people effortless. like myself, um, we were talking about this before, like we started recording, but for people like myself, how fast can you, you were saying, obviously you get up to about 60, 60 meters. Yeah. How fast do you end up going? Just to put it in perspective for people. Well, over 100 meters, uh, when I run the 10 seconds dead, um, you reach your maximum velocity. So I've been told at about 60 meters. So that's your, mm. everything before then is acceleration. So between 60 and 70 is peak speed. And then yeah. anything after that, I think it's like kind of tailing off, although you would never, ever see that. Um, and I think it's in the region of 25 to 27 miles per hour at 10 second pace. Which is insane. It's like 10 meters a second. Um, so you can kind of put it into context in, in terms of miles per hour if you were sitting yeah, in your yeah, car, yeah, yeah. driving along, have a look out the window when you're doing between 25 and 27 miles per hour. Exactly, yeah. And it, it you said you that to me earlier on and I, the first thing I thought was, I'm going to do that like, yeah. when, like later on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, have a shot. And yeah, yeah. When you pass a lamppost, you know, and you're passing things and you can think, wow, you know, it's... It's that's that's what it. your perspective was if you look right. Yeah, that, exactly. Yeah. Um, and you think, wow, that's that's amazing that, you know, legs can do that. Yeah. <laughs> um, bits of muscle um, that can carry along at, the, mm. at that speed. But yeah, I mean, that was that was a great race, a great day. The conditions were nice. It was a great event. Um, that was the, the Cardiff um, Games. Um and a lot of good quality athletes uh, were there. Um, Channel 4 was there filming it. So it was a really good day and everything just clicked on that day. But I just remember it didn't, you know, as the line was coming towards me, running up the home straight, there was no tiredness, there was no fatigue. I just felt as though my feet were just tapping along the track. That's how fast sprinting yeah. should be. Effortless, very relaxed, mm. almost feeling like you're not trying. Um, I made the silly mistake because I knew I was in front of raising a hand in the air about 20 metres out and, and cruising a, across the line, which was a ridiculous thing to do because I could have run quicker. I bet why not? Um, but yeah, I think it was just in Doesn't the moment. good though, eh? yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I, a, well, I mean, you set the trend for Bolt to do it in Beijing, so I mean, you're a trendsetter. Well, that's it, exactly. <laughs> well, yeah. He's maybe looked back at the old footage on the on You the should VHS. get on the Virgin Media and be like, look, like, get this guy. That's it, yeah. <laughs> to, to sort of put that time in perspective um, for everyone at home, and even for yourself, Paul, um, you're joint 20th in history for with that time to break 15 seconds of the 150 meters now the world record at the time if i've done my research right was 14.75 yeah. so for you to run 14.99 and wow. the person who broke that world record was obviously usain bolt who obviously fastest man in history broke it by a massive chunk taking it all the way down to 14.36 so like at the time you were you were 
right up there, yeah. running so fast, mm. like close to eclipsing some of the some of the biggest guys, obviously at the time. Yeah, running up to near world record pace and in an event like that. Looking back, that must be like, wow. yeah. Well, I mean, the funny thing is, my son. I was I mean, fairly, you, I was fairly shredded. <laughs> You'll maybe know this more than me because I didn't know about this, but my son Harris, who does athletics, told me that you take the one fifty time and you can multiply it by something. Um, it'll give you your two hundred meter time or the average oh, round about what you should that. do. Yeah. I can't remember exactly what he done, but it came up as nineteen point nine that would have been for a two hundred. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a kind of. So if you had run that race as a two hundred, yeah, held it for I'm for almost long. wishing that that day was a two hundred because <laughs> it was a probably and it was legal wind speed as well, and it would have been like potentially if that is accurate and true, that would have been the first British nineteen point nine. Yeah, you know, nice, but you know. I mean, there's there's always there's always times when you look back and go, I, I, I could have done that, I could have done that. But yeah. at the same time, you can only really run the events that are put in front of you. That's it, and exactly. that was your event for the day. And you know, the times that you're running at the time, the technology in terms of footwear, dietary training techniques, mince and tatties, fish, fish on a Friday with some garden peas, the fish van coming around. It's quite, quite classic, actually. I, I'm exactly. actually thinking that because that's one of the things about sport and you know intense training stuff is the biggest thing i would miss was just like being we eat what you want but you've yeah. told, you've just named two things and i'm like oh that's, that sounds all right yeah. well, i mean pretty much throughout my whole career just a balanced diet yeah i didn't go dieting yeah. on anything eat anything specific i did eat well um especially in competition time yeah, it's more yeah, like yeah. chicken and fish things like that with, mm. with protein in it. protein um but yeah pretty much you know no supplements okay. whatsoever, really? Yeah, I used to take my supplements, um, you know, all the vitamins and minerals that you take because you're depleting mm. your body so much, mm. especially in the winter like time when you're training really hard. Up. You've got to top yeah. it all back up. So but you never had anything like protein supplements or anything like that? No? I did, yeah. From probably about 97 onwards, then you start to find out like protein powders. But I'll tell you what, it's not like nowadays. Back mm. then, they were the worst tasting things on this planet. <laughs> it was horrible. <laughs> you know, it was like cement. You know, oh, when no. you were mixing it, you had to mix it with like skim milk and it was just horrible you had to get stuff. A metal oh, spoon, God. none of this wooden spoon. It was almost like drinking porridge. That's Ooh. what protein drinks were like back then. They're, you know, they're really good now, but back then they were they were Horrific. pretty bad. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I mean, you know, for that moment in time, you know, the times that you're running, you have to look back and think, you know, wow, yeah, it is good to all the guys in that era, how quickly they were running. Because mm. it's like anything, as the generations move on and you go into your Usain Bolts and, you know, guys like that um, and the times that they're on and now they've got better food supplements, yeah. the footwear's yeah. better, the training methods are, are constantly evolving, the, the the synthetic tracks are better. So even things that's like, just the way it goes, you know, things move yeah. on and the technology gets better, times get faster, yeah, everything yeah. just moves it's, on. Yeah. It's even like ease of transport as well. Like So for yourself and your, your career, you might have then trained more abroad because it'd be more readily available for you to yeah. just jump on a flight nice and cheap and just like nip abroad for some warm weather training even That's like right. little things like that could have helped massively yeah. more races in the european circuit and even down between. to little things like if i ran on the grand prix circuit um which in the summertime was a lot mm. i would have to fly edinburgh london london switzerland or mm. london germany there was mm. no direct flights whereas now loads of direct flights go from Edinburgh, Glasgow and, Edinburgh yeah. and see the amount of traveling that was added on by having to go to London first then London out so I was doing double the amount of flights yeah. as a lot of people as anyone was for, that was that was mm-hmm. you know competing for Britain from Scotland um 
Whereas now it's great, you know, you yeah. go anywhere. And you've got all the factors as well. Like I know the the Brit, uh, the GB cycling team was famous for this, but each athlete brought their own mattress. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> they, I've heard they, that. they yeah. used their own mattress yeah. in every hotel room. Yeah, because I, I can't remember who was the head coach. Sleep um, is very important. Oh, yes, yeah. but he was like, it was like a whole system of marginal gains. Yeah, and like what small things can they change? And it would be okay. So they're sleeping in different beds every night. Let's just take the same mattress, and yeah. it's, it's changing the variables. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I, I knew a, a Dwayne Ladejo, very good four hundred meter runner. Um, he used to take a mattress with him everywhere he went. Mm-hmm. But it was like one of those. I don't know where he got it at the time. It must have cost him a fortune, but it was like a temper mattress. Um, but it was a travel one. Mm. I've never ever seen them. Was that the ones he, that like roll up? Yeah, yeah. He yeah. rolled it up, and he just brought this thing out and laid it on top of the mattress that was already in the hotel room, mm. and that was his thing. You mm. need to sleep properly. Um, you soon learn very quickly that you must always have um, earplugs with you <laughs> because when you're in those hotels, bearing in mind there's athletes got jet lag from all over the world and they're just in and out at two o'clock in the morning out their rooms like it's like two o'clock in yeah. the afternoon. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, earplugs in, shut the world out and go to sleep. Yeah, so. It's always like kind of crazy. Um, taking it like, because I mean, only got about half an hour left and um, <laughs> getting kind of close times flying you're having fun and um, so you've done all that you've done your um second olympic games like what, what was it like uh, like achieving a second qualification for olympic games was it like oh, i can go again type thing or was it the same letter it's near enough obviously <laughs> just a slightly different slightly terminology different than, because yeah. it's, it's sydney um yeah, I mean, I made the four by one team. I'd had various issues throughout the whole season um, with a popliteus injury. I think that's what it's called. It's a muscle that goes around the back of the knee, mm. just niggling, niggling, niggling. I was able to train, but not able to train 100%. Mm. Um, so I came fourth in the 100, but that secured me for the relay. Mm-hmm. And don't get me wrong, that was still a, 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 Big fun, ask. a, a phenomenal achievement to make yeah. a, a second Olympics. And I was just totally elated that, you know, I was able to go again. Despite and, all um, the hardships you managed to push through and achieve yeah, that, yeah. that season's aim. Yeah, that's right. And, um, you know, I took the first available flight out to um, Australia. We were on in a, a training camp on the Gold Coast. Um because obviously the physio services that were there and a guy called Gerard Hartman, a uh, uh, Southern Irish physio that came out with us. He's probably known as probably the best physio in the world. He's really specialist at what he was doing. People used to fly from everywhere to his premises in Limerick to get mm. treatment. Really, really good. And I thought, well, he's going out. He'll be out there. So I was on the first flight out from London um, to the training camp with quite a few other athletes, actually. And... Um, made the most of the the physio attention that I was getting, you know, twice a day. And then training started to come together. Um, I was putting some good sprint sessions in. Um, and then we had a, a Grand Prix uh, to run in Runaway Bay and mm. uh, on the Gold Coast. And um, because I hadn't raced, obviously, my last race before going out was in Gateshead. I uh, didn't run particularly well. Um, I thought, I need to get this run in. Uh, for securing a place on the on the relay team, um, you know, because you've still got to prove yourself. Yeah. And uh, ran in the heats, scraped into the final of this Grand Prix by the skin of my teeth. Um, and I think it was something like 10-3 that I ran and I had to go and sit in the corner. Jason Gardner was with me. I said, look, I need to go and sort my head out here. I said, that was a disaster. I can't run like that again in the final because if I do... Chances you know, are uh, you'll be booted. Yeah, my place is not going to look good for the relay team. And... Uh, 
So kind of ran the race through in my head and I thought, I can't run like that again. But when it came to the final, nine o'clock at night, it was getting quite cool actually, it was dark. Great event that they held. Um, Grand Prix athletes from all over the world were running in it. And uh, Jason ran 10.04 and I ran 10.05 from the outside lane. Again, wind was just slightly over, but it just it just clicked. I just needed that one run after the weeks of training and getting physio treatment. Just that one run to blow all the cobwebs away kind of get my legs turning over yeah, get them thinking yeah, yeah. oh this is what I need to do you're actually able to run pain-free here I can run fluidly um you know and I just got out my system in the heats because I was over striding things before the finish line um so yeah run 10.05 so I thought this is me I'm, I'm set up I'm back in the flow again and you know that's the was... second fastest time you ever ran in your career is that's that right? right yeah yeah, Unbelievably and fast. just because I was able to get looked after full time mm. and get myself, you know, running again and get back into training and do the things that I wasn't able to do all the way throughout the season because mm. we just could not get to the bottom of it. Um, but I knew that Gerard would be the the person that could do that, and he and he did. Um, and that was the result. I'd run so badly in the heats. That's why uh-huh. I was in lane eight. Jason was in lane four. And when the gun went bang, he got an electric start. And I just remember when I was driving out, thinking, God, I can already see. Jason, like he's a, a meter and a half up, but knew come 60 meters, that was when I was in my territory mm. that I would start picking up. Mm. So I kept on where he was. Um, and you know, just knew, right, when I get to 60, I'll be able to move up. And that's exactly what happened. The race, I knew what was going to happen in the race. And when we crossed the line, we both dipped at the same time and just looked at each other and went, oh, Yeah, it. Jason was like, <laughs> I, said, I can't believe it. He said, I just seen this thing in the corner of my eye. He said, So, I mean, he was, he was a really good friend, still is. I've um, not seen him for a long, long time, actually, but um, was really happy for me that mm. I, you know, I was managed to turn it round after mm-hmm. a, a troublesome season. And, um, you know, I just needed that one race just to get it out of my system. Yeah. And then that's, you know, what I was able to do. Yeah. Um, so I was happy to get it done rather than not have it done at, uh, done at all through yeah. the season. So, so well, what was it like then once the Olympics had started their second Olympic Games? Obviously, 2000, Dawn of the New Millennia. It was yeah. a big Olympic Games as well for Australia, um, especially like 400s, like female 400 and stuff. That was a yeah, massive event Freeman. to watch, yeah. of course. So like, what was it like, like for you just being there again? Like, is it the same feeling as that you had in Atlanta or is it like totally different, just the same buzz? Like, um, It's the same buzz. I mean, you get issued with slightly different kit because it's a different Olympic. So mm-hmm. it's four years on. So, you know, it's different kit that you get. So you get these massive kit bags full of, absolutely everything that you'll ever need I'll and wish. more <laughs> and there's um, a new toothbrush yeah a pillow <laughs> you get honest I, I can't even remember half the stuff it's all in the loft i've kept obviously all my kit from both olympics um you know the kids like having a look a look through yeah, it now yeah. and again get it out the loft and let them take a wee look but um you get a big suitcase full of stuff as well but see when it comes to like competition time and um you know you're heading down to the track and even just when you get to the um, the training camp, you have to be seen in your Olympic gear all the time. So you have to wear that because you're representing Great Britain, even mm-hmm. though you're at a training camp. And just a sense of pride when you put on your uh, Team GB t-shirt and your Lycra leggings to go down to the track. Yeah, you like know, for your training a session. amount of people that have got these. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what You've it is. And you think, sort of thing, yeah. this is something that I have earned. And you, you walk uh, around... Um, a huge sense of pride that you know, I've made the Olympic team. You know, I'm part of the Great Britain Olympic team. I'm representing my country 
um, here. And it's just a, it's an amazing feeling. Probably the words that I'm using aren't doing it any justice. It's, it's just such a good feeling. And then that's tenfold then when you uh, are in the Olympic Village mm-hmm. um, and then you're heading off down to the warm-up track at mm-hmm. the Olympics. Um, if I can put it, it almost makes you feel superhuman. <laughs> it's like you put it's on the tracksuit yeah, and yeah. You, you zip the It's like the, put, the putting on the cape. Yeah. yeah, and you just feel... Yeah, I'm ready for this. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. are ready. You know, we can we can do this. It's just it's a superb feeling. Well, yeah. It is obviously yeah. the biggest thing that you can achieve, especially in our sport and athletics. It is the that's the ultimate. That's the top. Yeah, it's, it's obviously totally, Yeah, yep. it's obviously totally different from like football and stuff. Obviously, football is now World Cup and things. But like for any athlete to reach the top of their game to be there is like huge. And obviously, yeah. when you get on the track, it must just be like hot. Oh, yeah this track feels good oh yeah I even mean, though it's it, just another track but it feels good yeah <laughs> i mean it's just it's a whole different dimension i mean the stadiums are massive and you know over a hundred thousand people in them so the noise and the, the sounds the senses are going mad but i mean probably at the 96 olympics i didn't actually hear a thing you're such so focused in a and, zone yeah, yeah, yeah and so focused you just go automatically you 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 put your bag down, you go up to the blocks, you get your measure tape out, measure your blocks out, have a couple of practice starts, and you don't actually see anything it's, or hear anything. Yeah, it's mm. almost like you've not got enough time to take it in because yeah. you're just so busy. That's exactly right. You're basically working, yeah. that's the thing. Yeah, you you're, I mean? you're doing it's, your job. Yeah, yeah, you're at work. Yeah, that's what it is. And everyone else enjoying yourself, but yeah. you're just in the same position as like an Olympic steward yeah. in the sense of you're doing your job you're at the Olympics. Yeah. And, and that Olympic steward's not watching the games. He's He's doing his thing do yeah, you know what I mean like that's so right. you're yeah. in the same exact same boat as yeah. them in a weird way yeah and it's just like because you're so focused on what you're doing um it's almost like for the race you switch your brain off mm-hmm. and your body does the, the thing to yeah. sprint and the coming out the blocks automatically when you cross the line someone flicks a switch back on and you're back in the real world mm-hmm. again and as you run off around the bend in Atlanta all I remember thinking is the noise Mm. the noise is incredible just comes back into the, like the fold yeah and like i said earlier um in the first round i was running against dennis mitchell one of the top american sprinters so the place was going crazy but the camera flashes it was almost like the stadium lit up white mm. all the way around and when i slowed down and, and walked back around i just looked around the stadium for 20 30 seconds just to take it all in and it's an an image that I'll never ever forget because the only way I can describe it is the stadium just went up into the sky mm. and it was just rows and rows of people, camera flashes, sound, movement. And then as I look round to where the 200 meters start is that's where the gap in the stadium was for the Olympic flame. Yeah, And you see this flame rising up and you're like, I am here. Uh, I have just ran in the Olympic Games. I've ran my first race in the Olympic Games and I remember staring at it and then turning around and walking into the media zone where you get interviewed by the world's media for different, you know, TV stations and um, yeah, absolutely insane memories. sort of sinks in. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, obviously we're getting to quite, quite close to near the end, but obviously just recently, um, you're not just Ian Mackey, you're Ian Mackey, O-L-Y. So you, you've obviously been presented with your, with your letter and your, your obviously your, your letters after your name and stuff. Yeah. Uh, just for everyone in the audience who's unaware, the um, World Olympian Association, obviously to every Olympian who, who competed, sent out a letter and it reads, in recognition of your achievements as an Olympian, 
you're granted use uh, of the post-nominal letters OLY to signify your ongoing role in society as an Olympian living and promoting the Olympic values, which I think perfectly sums up what you were saying earlier when like you met a serviceman this morning in the gym yep. and like just you being there and like just being yourself and yeah. still training hard and still doing what you're doing, taking it to like everywhere else in your life. Like yeah. you're still inspiring people if that makes yeah, sense yeah which is like like that yeah I, it's like it's like one of those things so i think it's like it's massive that they've done that and i thought that when they did do that i was like that's actually a really like good thing was that like another like oh wow like years later after being in the olympics like what was that feeling like yeah no it was really nice um you know when it came through and you think oh wow you know it's quite funny the guys at work thought this was quite amusing mm. that you know i've now got letters after my name um mm. You know, it's 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 a nice it's a nice touch, and I know other fellow Olympians that I've ran with, um, they're exactly the same. They have this pride. Um, it's a an exclusive club, really. Yeah, of, yeah. You know, athletes that have been in an Olympic team. So, you know, I think everyone feels the same. It's really nice to be recognised. Um, you know, for your achievements and and yeah. what you've done as an Olympic athlete, and you know how you promote the sport and you know, going into schools and things like mm -hmm. that as well. But for me, you know, f just to see the the joy on my wife, uh, uh, Ern, and the kids, Harris and Sophia's faces, it's like, mm. wow, you know, because both my kids do athletics now. Mm. Um, my that son must Harris be a really, my, really cool thing for you as well to to see your, your kids look at you and go, wow, my dad done this. I'm going to go do it as well. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah. Do they, really... do, they ever, do, they, do they ever go like, oh, that's annoying. I'm never going to be as cool as my dad. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, um, yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, when the kids are at the track, I think now, I mean, Stephen will know this himself. I'm just a dad down there. Ah, yeah, know, all, by the way. all the kids, you know, I'm just Harris's Cheering dad. Them on. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's the way I like to keep it. Um, Harris and Sophia both have their own individual coaches. I don't mm -hmm. take any part in that i mean that might sound bad to some people but do they I'll, prefer that though like do they yeah and yeah. that's how i want it to be because they've got to be their own individuals 100%, you know yeah. they've got to be who they are you know we're all different in this world mm. so i don't want any pressures for them to think mm. because their dad was an olympic sprinter that they must replicate that i've already told them that everybody's different yeah. um and I said the most important thing for me is that the, you love the sport you're making great friends in this sport mm. Um, they come down, they have, you know, a, a good time, they have a good laugh. That's the main um, thing about th it, yeah. They enjoy the training. And I said, if you come first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, I said, it doesn't matter. I said, you're 12 and you're 10. I'm not interested in results. winning and results and things. I said, the most important thing for me is you're doing what I've done at the same age. And that is coming down, having a great time, making friends and enjoying the sport loving the buzz of running down the track as fast as you can mm -hmm. and having that buzz of feeling that as long as you are doing that that is what i'm 100 percent happy with so just enjoy it and always enjoy it don't ever think that you have to replicate anybody else or you must win or you must do that just go out and enjoy it and as long as you're enjoying it, that's the most that's, important that's thing cool, yeah, uh, yeah. I, had, I had another question but i actually think that's uh that's probably the best way to sort of end it on that. I think that was mm. that was really quite good. So, uh, Ian, honestly, massive thanks uh, oh, for coming along. You're welcome. There's so much more me. that I wanted to talk about, like, but uh, obviously we've we've yeah, run out of time. need to do a part two to this. Well, <laughs> possibly we'll I'd be up goes. for that because I mean, yeah, you're right. It, you, you can easily talk for another two or three hours. Um, there's so many little yeah, yeah. ins and outs and. Um, 
I mean, just one wee thing. That's how I'm married to my wife now, um, Erin. Um, I met Erin when I was 19 and she trained in mm. John's group. And that's how we met. It's we crazy. are now married with two children. Doing that, athletics. That are doing well. athletics. <laughs> um, and my wife's done um, really well for herself. You know, she's got back into training. She's running 5Ks, 10Ks. She goes to the gym. She's really, you know, done well with, with her fitness. Like Stephen, she suffers with the arthritis in her in her hip, and that, that can get extremely troublesome for not, her at Not times. an easy thing. I can mind to speaking to her down the track yeah. just recently, actually. Yeah, that's right. Um, and yeah, she's got some some grit grit about her and some serious determination. She's got the same sort of like aim and outlook as like what what I've got. Like, yeah, you just need to keep pushing through. Yes, that's it. And like that that was like like my other line of questioning was literally going to be like, how do you guys take that like that mentality of like an athlete and like apply it to your lives type thing because it must just be like it just follows through type thing like it's just a way of life like after you've finished your sport yeah um i think it gives you a lot of qualities you know like determination so you like you know some mornings like anybody you get up and you think oh i work today just just don't feel it yeah but you have to get up you're motivated because you can turn the motivation right on what's my motivation my wife and kids you know, keep the wheels away from the door. Um, you know, like I said, my job is, yeah, I enjoy what I'm doing. Um, there can be a lot worse out there. I'm very fortunate. I've landed on my feet with, with where I am. Mm. It has its, its moments like anything. Um, but yeah, you, you just motivate yourself constantly. And, um, like I say for my wife, some days she's like, I feel quite sore. Um, I think it's maybe flared up a little bit, but you know, she manages it and she'll still go out and, and, and do a run. And I think it's great for the kids because they see that. So mm. they see mum and dad going for a run, mum and dad going to the gym, dad comes down to the track with us to watch us, mm. mum comes down to the track. It's it's a good, uh, you know, environment for the kids to grow up in. and um, just, just a brilliant support system for them and yeah, for yourselves. That's type right. Thing. Yeah. And just showing them that you have to be motivated. You have to have, you have to want it. Mm. Things aren't just going to come to you in life. Yep. You know, no one's just going to say, oh, yeah, you want to be an Olympic athlete? Oh, there you go. It doesn't work like that. You have to really work hard for <laughs> things. Course. And so you have to be motivated. You have to be dedicated, um, you know, and that goes for their, their schoolwork first and foremost. Um, so, yeah, all these qualities all... I'll, I'll do you good in, in the, the real world, if mm. I, I can call it that. No, but and actually just off the back of what you said about it being you know, obviously the real world, but even the qualities that you learn from being an athlete and the qualities yep. that you've you know embodied it's even probably more relevant now than it ever was just yeah. because the you know that this day and age is so busy and you've yeah. obviously like touched on social media and all that sort of stuff yeah. and having those you know mentality that mentality and that attitude you know helps sort of like get you through that oh yeah world. yeah you know I, I mean? mean there's been certain situations over the years when i've been working um, other situations in life where yeah definitely skills that I've learned and how to conduct myself as an athlete yeah. um, through various different situations and scenarios that's definitely fired right in and into working life or you know just being out and about yeah um, yeah you know that's definitely clicked in and you think you know wow if I hadn't have been an athlete maybe I wouldn't have dealt with that situation yeah. quite like what I did you, you know the calmness the composure Aye. not Ability getting in a to... panic about things just yeah, yeah, yeah. you know you know, we'll get this sorted kind of thing. Yeah. Um, those qualities have definitely um, came from the years as a as a sportsman, for mm. sure. Yeah, the ability to stay composed under, like, severe pressure. That's definitely one thing that 
I still like have to work on a lot is like my nerves like approaching like competitions and stuff mm-hmm. but like outside like life like I always feel like no matter what I do it is, it's like all the things I've done so far like my undergraduate my masters and even like this it's really difficult really hard but yeah. if I can go down six six days a week and train and get all that out of my system then there's no reason why I can't do anything else if yeah. I can push myself to the limit yeah physically then I can push myself to the limit in every other aspect That's of my right. life like yeah mentally so it's like it's one of yeah. those things like it all sort of like transposes but you don't mm-hmm. have to be an athlete to obviously have that as you say yeah. is it's just that mindset that you get into you do one thing and it can just transcend into everything else in your life that's right yeah, yeah, yeah. as yeah. long as you're sort of motivated and it does it makes a massive difference yeah. to have just one thing that you drive to succeed yeah i think um you know there is one thing and it is a good quality but other times it's not as um you have to be very selfish mm. as oh, a yeah, yeah and sometimes my wife will pull me up and remind yeah. me that you know listen here you know <laughs> still sometimes that can creep back in but she yeah. does realize now that a lifetime of being an athlete and being independent and doing your own thing and making decisions quick on the spot there and then for yourself you it's very hard to drop that so sometimes i, I just have to have a think to myself and think yeah you know i need to peg that that's, that's, peg that back a that's little the bit, first but, time i've ever like heard someone else say because that's like son that i picture like myself a lot like mm-hmm. me and my girlfriend clash quite a bit because i'm always just like I just want to like do my, like have my own yeah. schedule. See if I don't yeah. stick to my schedule, it's like a nightmare. Yeah, but like it's something I need to work on. But it's, like that's you're the the first person that I've ever spoke to that said something something similar. It's yeah. very difficult to get out of that. Yeah, it is because yeah. you're so used to just like doing your own thing. Yeah, yeah, going to training. Yeah, coming home, doing what you need to do, yeah. and then like scooting I off still again. now have my routine on my days off. But yeah. like now, where yeah. I've been to the gym today and I've got to do this and I've got to do that, and sometimes the wife reminds me. You Remember, know, you've got kids, yeah, by the way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> We're here as well. So you've always kind of got to see it from their perspective yeah, yeah, yeah. as yeah. well. And don't get me wrong, there's a lot of times when you think, right, we're going to do this as a family and that as a family, yeah. but still try and fit everything in. Because um, she also knows that if I don't do that, then there's, Goes a, up in the head. there's a grumpy Ian yes. uh, appears. <laughs> he's, uh, he's on the which horizon. Which no one really likes. Nah. But, um, <laughs> nah, but yeah, no, uh, there is an element of that. But um yeah, in general, everything is good. Yeah. So good. if you if you could sum up just like one thing as like from from like as an Olympian to like inspire other people just to like sort of end on like if they have an aim or a dream and no matter what it is to do, like what would your advice be for them? If they're young or if they're a little bit older, what would what would it be? I would say if you've got that dream, don't let anybody, no matter who they are, tell you that you can't achieve it. Mm. Because for every job or you know to be the best sports person or anything that that is or that dream that you want to do someone in the world has to do it Mm -hmm. the world is a big place so there is always going to be people doing that so why not you doesn't matter where you come from someone's got to do it and if you think oh i'm just from dunfermline i'm from this little council housing estate um the person that might do that job will be from California, Beverly Hills. And, <laughs> you know, they'll have this thing. Sort of a billionaire sort of thing. Yeah. It doesn't work like that. Yeah. You know, if you have a dream, go for it. Even if a teacher goes, oh, no, that's just silly fantasy. You know, very few people get to do that. Very few people become a QC or a, you know, top engineer or an F1 engineer or something like that. Mm you know, or the boss of a Formula One team or, mm-hmm. you know, something out there, yeah. spaceman, Football. you know, astronaut. Yeah. 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 Well, why not? Because there's a reason why there's people doing it. 
Yeah, they've obviously done something to get there. Yeah, so yeah. they've wanted to do that. That's mm. what they've chosen to do, and they've become it. So why not you? And that's what I've always said to the kids. Irrespective of where you come from, that doesn't matter. If you have dreams and aspirations to become that, follow them. Do everything you can to promote that and help yourself get yeah, there, yeah. whether it be through studying, training hard, whatever it is mm. you're doing that you want to be successful at, go for it. And don't let people tell you that you can't do it mm-hmm. because you can. If you put your mind to it and you have all the right things in place that you can do that can help you, then there is no reason why you can't. So always just go with your dream and don't let people try and knock you down. If you think you can do it, go for it. Absolutely. I love that. The the best bit for me was why not you? I think that will resonate massively. Mm -hmm. That's that's the the one one line I took away from that. And I was just like, yeah, that's perfect. Mm -hmm. So why Mm -hmm. not you? I love that. Listen, mate, it's been an absolute pleasure. I've and really enjoyed honestly, it. I wish we had more time because yeah. I've got so many questions and so much more <laughs> I want to know. But my head is buzzing. Um, especially for having a perspective of not knowing all this stuff first, if that makes sense. Yeah. Because I know you, you know Stephen quite well, but like I, I've just been sitting here like, wow. Like I, 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 I'm going to listen to this back in the edit and stuff, but there is yeah. loads of times I've literally went, Right, no, that's <laughs> so, like, great. Well, yeah. listening to you, it's nice. It's really, really inspirational, yeah. as you said. And I think oh, there'll be you. a lot of people that will take, you a know, from this, yeah. a lot well, away I from this. So. And yeah, it'd be nice hopefully to think, that can yeah. help, you know, apply, you know, to their job or their life and, you know, whatever, you know, role they're in. But yeah. that's sort of the main goal here is. Well, if it's one person, then that's, that's a success. It. Yeah, that's definitely. It. But yeah, I've really enjoyed it. And, you know, thanks for having me along. That's no it's been absolutely brilliant. No problem. Thanks very much. Really appreciate it. Thank you. So this this has been a, a bit different from from our usual episode. Yeah. Um, I, I don't even know if we can do the usual outro. No, I don't, can, I, can we do that? Is that I, is that applicable? <laughs> Honestly, I, I don't think we can. Ah well. Thanks, Ian. Really appreciate Thanks very much, it. Ian. Thank you. You're welcome. the After 12 Podcast Network.